It's not just hockey that's back. Sports is back. And right now, you can save 40% off to a subscription to The Athletic. And there is really no better time to sign up if you are not subscribing to The Athletic, especially if you're a hockey fan. There's about to be a million games, and we've got insight. We've got diaries from inside the bubble, so like access that you can't get elsewhere. Uh, we've got all of our experts weighing in, analyzing games, previewing games. It's going to be – there's just a ton of stuff coming at The Athletic around the NHL's postseason. And it's not just that. Don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of all the sports seasons that are kicking off right now. Subscribe now and save. And you can sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash full60, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and you don't want to miss the breaking stories in your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash Full 60 for 40% off an annual subscription to The Athletic. We hope to see you there. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. And this is a special episode because it's not one episode. It's going to be broken into two, or it has been broken into two episodes. And I don't believe it's a full 60. It's more like whatever, like four hours times 60 minutes. Mouth is way beyond me. This is a ton. We did over, I want to say, around like 18 to 20 interviews for this two-part podcast that is going to preview the NHL play-in and postseason with some of the best beat writers at The Athletic. And I don't even want to like give a long intro here because it's lengthy, but the information, and we're going to lead it off here with Jeremy Rutherford, who covers the St. Louis Blues, the information provided by these beat writers is so good and detailed and it goes beyond any surface level stuff. We get in and out, like 10 to 15 minute interviews with a number of athletic writers so you can have a ton of insight going into this postseason by the that the NHL is putting on. So let's dive right in. Part one of the two-part NHL playoff preview spectacular leading off with the great Jeremy Rutherford who, of course, is a longtime Blues Beat writer, but more importantly, host of the best podcast, the best hockey podcast for my money at The Athletic, called We Went Blues. JR, what is happening? Craig, this is uh, such an honor. My second uh, time on the full 60, and uh, i just like to tell you that uh, Keith Morrison, Dateline, and yourself, those are my two podcasts, and uh, you kind of got some of his traits. I love how you, the voice inflection and the teases and the wow. great guests you have. So you're my Keith Morrison. You know, I, I've heard people say that Keith Morrison heavily influenced by the full 60. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> I've never talked to him about it, but, but that may be true. JR, we're going to jump in because I think we've already got people lining up here to chat. And we wanted to lead off with you because the Blues is, you. nobody may remember this, but they are the reigning champs here. And... I would, you know, we we were talking to some coaches. Russo and I did an anonymous coaches poll, and you know, when you talk to guy teams that, that people like, they're like, "Hey, look, the Blues are still the champs, and until you beat the the champs, you know, we don't want to hear it." 
do they in your opinion you know this team so well are they carrying themselves with that kind of swagger or is that like so long ago you know what i mean like that that yeah. it doesn't it, it feels like a whole separate thing yeah, I, I don't see the swagger. Uh, this team has worked hard under Craig Berube. You know what they went through last year, the the worst, the first story. And I think when they got to the finish line and they won the Stanley Cup, there was so much uh, relief, excitement. But I don't recall them ever just walking around, uh, just acting like the big shots in town. And so they come back this year, and everybody talks about the Stanley Cup hangover, and they really just had a swoon uh, in kind of January where they didn't play well mm-hmm. and then got it back on track. They were playing really well right before the pause. So, uh, Craig, what I've seen from them in camp uh, this past couple of weeks before they went to Edmonton is just a team that just knows what needs to be done and they're ready to go give it a whirl. Yeah. Big news with the Blues is the Tarasenko. Like, this is one of the questions we were asking a lot of people was, you know, who do you think benefited from this this time off or the pause or however we're phrasing in it? And a lot of people just jumped to the blues simply because Vladimir, Vladimir Tarasenko is healthy. What, you know, besides the obvious reasons, how do you see that transforming things? And how, you know, how do you expect him to play? It's been a while. Well, it's a big lift, big lift. Yeah. So he's been out since October with the shoulder injury that required surgery. The blues were in Anaheim the time the uh, league shut down. March 12th, Tarasenko was going to come back the next week, Craig. He was he was ready, but he was going to be oh. pushing the timeline. That yeah, was right yeah. at five months. And so uh, he gets an extra four months to heal. So now he's up to nine months on strengthening that shoulder and watched him the past couple of weeks in practice. Looks great. All the players you talk to say, uh, you know, they don't see any rust there. So, I mean, who else gets a 35 goal score top line guy to come back in their lineup for the playoffs? Yeah. Did, where was he during the break? You know? Yeah, he was away from the team a little bit uh, rehabbing, but uh, yeah. came back towards the end and, and was skating a lot. So he stayed in St. Louis. Yeah, for the yeah. most part. Uh, that's you know that's it's funny. One of the things that keeps happening is, and I don't know if the Blues have a version of this. Did you have any players you're like, oh yeah, they, I forgot they added this guy. <laughs> like, were there any, like <laughs> yeah. or, or I just forgot this person was such an important piece during the time off. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, they pretty much got the same lineup, you know, with the exception of uh, Tarasenko uh, being out. And uh, so lines are pretty deep. They had one positive uh, COVID test during the uh, believed COVID test during the uh, training camp. Yeah. Uh, Vince Dunn. And so he's missed the entire camp. Justin Falk playing on that left side during camp. But otherwise, it's the same lineup. So I don't think people who see them on TV this week are going to be surprised. Yeah. Justin Falk, um, gosh, again, and I don't, and hopefully I'm not doing this for the next hour as we bring up names and players, but <laughs> that was it. You know, that was a trade that seems like decades ago, but, you know, transformative on a lot of levels. Um, and, you know, they signed him to the big contract. Alex Petrangelo, and we can get to him in a second. We don't know about his future. Um, maybe a chance to reset for Falk. Like, how, well, how would you assess the fit? And, and then how do you see it progressing in this, in this tournament? Yeah, for sure. So they make the trade in part because uh, they were, I think, done with uh, Joel Edmondson. They were going to move him. So they move him to Carolina. They get Falk. Falk was in the headlines. He was going to be on the move, right? And so Doug Armstrong looked at it two ways, Craig. He said that, you know, we're going to deepen our defense here by adding a three-time All-Star and a guy who can play every situation. And in the meantime, that's a backup plan for Alex Petrangelo if they if they can't bring him back on the extension uh, so Falk gets here, and guess what? You know, his role in Carolina, jump over the boards, 
you know, in all situations, like I said, and that just wasn't the role for him here. You yeah. had Alex Petrangelo, you had Colton Preco. It even got to the point where they moved Falk over to the left side. So we had a story up at the Athletic in June. Falk said he was uh, extremely disappointed in the way he played, and and you use the best word, uh, reset. He feels a lot more comfortable uh, coming in for phase three here and, and then moving on to phase four uh, than he did when he got here in September to a new team. Um, now, when Doug Armstrong says... Just in case, as he put like air quotes with his fingers, they don't sign Petrangelo. <laughs> or is that still a real option? <laughs> yeah, they, it's gonna you be know, tough. They got the cap's not going anywhere, St. Louis. You know what I mean? I don't know yeah, what they're it, gonna do. I, I don't know either. Uh, I did talk to Doug about two weeks ago, and he said I'm confident in the plan we have moving forward, and obviously that means uh, with or without uh, Petrangelo. It's going to be a tough situation. You know, you looked at the proje- projection of the cap, 84, 88 million, and we know that uh, it's not going to go up. It's going to be at uh, 81.5, and the Blues are sitting less than uh, about a million bucks cap space, and they have to sign Vince Dunn, who's going to cost at least $2.5 million. So yeah. uh, if you're looking at Petrangelo and he comes in less than Yossi at, you know, 8.85, that's a lot of room that you have to clear. I still firmly believe that Doug Armstrong is going to do everything he can to re-sign Alex Petrangelo, but uh, I've used this word a few times in the last couple of months. He's he's going to have to be a magician to get it done. It's it's interesting because when I talk to people, they say, "Look, um, this yes, it's a flat cap, and no, it's not going to impact. Really, it's not going to impact the guys like Alex Petrangelo. Like Alex isn't going to take five million, right? Like if anything, right. maybe it impacts term instead of doing seven or eight. These these guys do three or four to to get another run at another contract. But if if the numbers Yossi, it's going to be Yossi. Like I don't, I don't see that changing. And you know who it ends up impacting? It impacts the Vince Duns of the world, right? Where right, they're right. Like, Look, we we you know if you're going to make a tough decision, chances are you 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 squeeze like the middle class player, right? I'm not saying Vince Dunn's middle class, but I, I think those are the challenging ones. Right. Yeah. He's a uh you know restricted free agent with no Arbright. So definitely oh. he can get oh, squeezed. Man. Sorry, Vince. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So but but Alex Petrangelo, look, I'm not saying that the Norris finalist group decides what the uh, guys are getting paid, but you see Yossi get the $9 million and Petrangelo, who I think is definitely deserving to be in that Norris conversation, you know, just where does he come in? And 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 you're right, maybe it just affects the term, but even if he gets the 8.5 or the 8.75, you know, does a 30-year-old Alex Petrangelo take that uh, for, for four or five years, mm-hmm. knowing he's going to try to get another contract when he's 35? That's going to be tough i think this is the time where he was looking to cash in and, and obviously the, the situations affected everybody yeah yeah that's definitely a guy that doesn't do that right like it's it's the people i think it's the younger players that are like hey i can come free again at if it's a, if you're 25 or 26 and maybe go free again at 30 31 but if you're alex petrangelo this is it this is your chance so he'll be one to watch i i'm sure there'll be teams and fans and other teams watching alex petrangelo you know in this tournament say okay he would, he would look fantastic on our team. So that's, I love those storylines. Um, all right, to wrap up, JR, I'm going to hit a couple questions with every single beat writer. And I love, I used to do this piece at ESPN called Hinge Players going into a season um, with, you know, being like the, the, this team's success hinges on this player. And and so I'm going to throw that at you with the caveat being I'm it's too easy to say the goalie. So no goalies allowed. The no goalie player that you think their success hinges on if this guy steps up and has a big postseason is who 
I'll narrow it down to one here. Um, I'm going to go with Jaden Schwartz, and I don't know that he's the most important player, so I'm differentiating right. a little bit between most important and hinge player. But we saw last year Jaden Schwartz had 11 goals in the regular season, down season for him uh, scoring-wise, and then he has 12 in the playoffs, and they don't win the Stanley Cup without him. All-important yeah. goal. Uh, up in Winnipeg to win that game with just a few seconds left. And then he has a, a hat trick. Uh, Jane Schwartz was terrific. And to me, when he's going, the rest of the team is going. So uh, so he's going to be my hinge player, Craig. Awesome. And then the last thing, this is a gut feeling. I'm not going to do predictions, but I want you to complete this sentence. I just have a gut feeling that. And what's going to happen with the Blues? doesn't have to be a win or a loss or just maybe someone that you think might do well. It's just a gut feeling. Yeah, uh, as I think about this for a second. Yeah, um, I should have prepped you on this, but I don't want it, I want it no, to be from no. the gut. I didn't want you to overthink yeah, it. Yeah, no, Jared. this is good. This is good. I got a big gut, so I got a little room in here to decide here. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I got a gut feeling that the story with Jordan Bennington last year was just so magical. I don't know how you can top that. And he's been good this year, not great. And the story a little bit here in St. Louis is Jake Allen has been outstanding all season long. You know, maybe there's going to be a time during this uh, playoff where Jordan Bennington is, is is struggling and maybe they have to go to Jake Allen Ooh. and help him out a little bit. Jake Allen's been here for 10 years and really <laughs> didn't get the approval. Yeah. He has. That can't Just, be, I, I, I have to call. Uh, it, it's been no more than five. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, Craig, he just didn't get maybe the appreciation uh, last year when they finally won the cup after yeah. all of his years here because Jordan Bennington stepped in and did it. So, you know, maybe Jordan Bennington sails through this tournament and, and has another great one. I'm just saying, you know, I, I, I sit here with my gut and I think that Jake Allen might be part of this thing. Oh, I love that answer. JR, host of the We Went Blues podcast, make sure you're listening to that, subscribing to it, commenting on it. St. Louis plays Dallas, Colorado, and Vegas in the round robin. The reigning champs' first game is August 2nd versus the Colorado Avalanche. My pick to win it all in Edmonton. Jeremy, thanks for doing this, man. Just want to say hi to Keith Morrison because I know he's listening. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man. We're going to keep buddy. this. We're going to keep. Thanks, Jer. All right, let's keep the train moving. We are going to move right on to Aaron Portsline, good friend, longtime Blue Jackets beat writer. He is the host of Front and Nationwide podcast for my money the best hockey podcast at The Athletic with Allison Lucan. Aaron, thank you so much for doing this, man. This is already fun. I'm enjoying this way too much. What's going on, man? Well, thanks for having me, man. I'm doing good, good. You guys ready for this? I don't know. Are you? I don't think I am, I, but yeah. I kind of want to be in the bubble. I never thought I, I did, but I kind of want to be in the bubble. I know. It's I, like, it's, it, yeah. And, you know, there was a lot of debate about that and the merits of that. And, you know, quite frankly, for, I not to get into how the sausage was made for listeners, but um, I we're we're being published punished on some level for being being so big, right? As as a company, and if we were a bunch of small single sites like let's say the Athletic Columbus, it would be you know, and it was considered separate, it wouldn't be an issue. But we're we're limited in what we can do. I'm really I, and and I didn't and at first I was like, well, it's a bunch of Zoom calls, who cares? And now that it's here, I'm like, ah, oh, oh man, I want more people there. Right. And you know what it is? Like, I don't think 
people, I, I know people don't realize, and I don't even know that I fully realized how much you glean from just the side chats and the talks mm. and the, and how much more people are willing to talk when they're not being recorded and on stage at a chair and a table. Yeah, it's just different. It's just different. I don't want to complain. I know the situation. I know it's. I know, I know. why it is the way it is. I nobody fully wants respect. to hear. Nobody yeah. wants to hear us. Like this, right. is, people are already like, "Oh, great! More sports writers griping." That's that's yeah, yeah, what yeah. I want to hear right now. It, yeah, and I'm not really really griping about right. them do making the decision they did because I get it. The bubble has to be almost sacred. It's just the idea of having your team there. Yeah. The team that you cover there, and, and you're not able to do it as you've always done it, but we'll make the best of it. Uh, we will. And, all right, I'm going to actually, I'm going to not continue down that path because I had another thought, but I, I want to talk about the Blue Jackets. And because we have a, finally a chance to talk about actual hockey, which is exciting. And um, one of the things that keeps coming up, you know, is as you, you chat with people and in, you know, maybe teams that benefited from some time off, the Columbus Blue Jackets come up repeatedly because. 80% of the team was hurt. Um, yep. A guy like Josh Anderson, you're like, well, may never play for the Blue Jackets again. And all of a sudden, here we are in a new world where they're healthy. Seth Jones is healthy, presumably. Uh, maybe Josh Anderson plays. Where Can you give us kind of the overview on where things stand and maybe how they benefited? Well, I mean, it. you know, they led the league in man games. That That's yeah. a statistic for some team every year. But it wasn't It wasn't third and fourth line guys and, and their sixth defenseman it was Seth Jones broken ankle probably done for the season maybe back for the playoffs Oliver Bjorkstrand who many around the league probably may hear Oliver Bjorkstrand and go mm, a big deal he was their leading scorer their leading goal scorer and is an emerging player broken ankle likely out for the year Josh Anderson shoulder surgery probably one of the preeminent power forwards in the league Probably next to Tom Wilson, the only guy that can play that way in the league today. Shoulder surgery out for the year. Uh, Cam Atkinson, 40-goal scorer last year. Um, I mean, high ankle sprain that he's fighting through. They, they were a mess. And and they kind of kept up and survived the just constant blow of injuries until Jones goes down. Then they really had a hard time defending, which you would you would understand. They lose Bjorkstrand, and now they've lost their best defenseman, and they have they lose their best forward, and that that appeared to be the death knell. They were hanging on, battling their butts off. But there's there are lots of nights, Craig, where you're looking at the lineup sheet, and you're going. I honestly did the math. Like, would the league allow this lineup in the preseason? Are there enough veteran players on here? Like that was the right, level right. of their injuries. Um, so yeah, the the flip side of this, real quick, is when they were healthy early in the season, they didn't play well. It wasn't until hmm. they had the fear of God put in them, the fear of embarrassment, which is sometimes a really good motivator, that they really started to adopt the style that Tortorella has been trying to to uh, get them to play for a while now regular season that's not always easy but they yeah. really became a shutdown defensive team that five skaters played defense not just the right. defense when they were very responsible but that didn't happen until they were decimated by injuries so i'm curious to see what it looks like when it's all back together again that's a great it's funny because a team that was similar in this vein and, and i'm sure we'll get to it later in the show when we talk about the penguins was was pittsburgh and you know yep. john's 
John Tortorella's protege, Mike Sullivan, same thing. Like they're, they had, I, I, I went and saw them in, I want to say October or November, and it, I didn't recognize, there was players in that room. Yeah. I'm like, who in the world? Am I in Wilkes-Barre? Like we're, it was crazy. Yeah. And, and they, they want, they just went on this run. And I think sometimes you have guys that are receptive to playing the way the coach wants to play. And especially if you're going to play that way in November, I, yes. I think now the challenge is everybody's going to be res- responsible, Absolutely. theoretically, except possibly the team that Columbus is playing. Like, I, I, you could argue that Toronto might want to just come in, try to blow the doors off Columbus and beat them with offense and skill. Because I don't know if the Blue Jackets can come in and score three to four goals a game. Like, what's? How do you feel about that that stretch? Like, if Toronto just says, "Hey, we're we're going to try to make this a high scoring series," how do you see that going? Yeah, well, I think the Blue Jackets would. I think they think they would welcome that if I can yeah, put it that right. way. Yeah, um, because I think Toronto thought it was going to be easy, or sorry, Tampa thought it was going to be easy last year too, especially after the first period. Like people are making their plans to start living their summers in a week after that first period in Tampa, and then it turned. Um, I, I just I size up the series this way, and it, it, I know this doesn't sound great if you're Blue Jackets fans. I think the Leafs are the team in this series that could play okay and win. Mm. And I feel like the Blue Jackets, unless they play really, really, I think they can play really well and not win because of their offensive limitations. Now, these two teams match up in a very interesting way because the Leafs struggle to defend. I don't know if Columbus can can put that kind of pressure on them and score because this team works so hard to score goals but they don't have the easy goal guys that tampa has tampa toronto i keep crossing them up freudian perhaps um toronto i think could sleepwalk through two periods and win the game in the third whereas columbus has got to be on point for 60 minutes i think that's the margin of error they're looking at and it was interesting reading your coverage because you almost sense that Tortorella feels that way. Like they have to play perfect. They need everybody engaged. Didn't yeah. seem like he loved how the team was. Was that just a coach being a coach, or do you have like legit concerns that Columbus, you know, is ready to engage in this thing? Well, I think they're ready. I, I think that was a coach being a coach. And the next day, he he almost relented and was like, you know, what can you get out of these inter squad games? <laughs> these are. Right. It's right. kind of like the Pro Bowl where guys really aren't. They're not going to finish checks. Guys aren't going to blow up guys getting to the net after a loose puck (laughs) in these scrimmages, right? So I think there's an understanding that it's really going to pick up probably Thursday when they play the Bruins. At least he hopes to. I'll say this, though. like Tortorella had some some really curious line combinations at the start. He's changed them up a little bit. But he had Texier way high in the lineup. He had Foodie high in the lineup. That was wishful thinking and sometimes as much as Tortorella talks to his players and talks about the way they prepare them as not giving them too much I sometimes think he's guilty himself of overthinking because really he's talked a lot about the Maple Leafs speed and countering that with guys higher in the lineup and it just it reminds me of the playoff series against Pittsburgh three or four years ago where they were just so respectful, almost too respectful of Malkin and Crosby. And it really wasn't until game three when Scott Hartnell 
sort of a cut in under the coaches after the coaches left the room and said, guys, just play. Like, stop freaking out about who we're playing and just play hockey. And then the series got a lot more competitive. It didn't turn, certainly. But I think Columbus is really, really, really obsessing about the Maple Leaf speed and trying to figure out a way to counter that because it is, to them, a, a chief concern. All right, let me wrap up, Porty, because we got Josh Yoey on standby. And I, I love talking to all of you, but I don't want to make Josh wait. He's got an angry streak that we, just, we don't want to see on the podcast. So Nobody wants to, to- see that. <laughs> Nobody wants to see you be angry. All right, so two questions I'm asking everybody. The first is yep. the player the Blue Jackets' success hinges on, and you can't name a goalie. So I'm not asking, like, the best player. I'm not asking, you know, is the goalie going to get hot? If this, Who's the hinge player that if this guy steps up and has a good postseason, you're like, hey, you know, something could happen here? Yeah, well, this is going to sound a strange pick because I think Columbus has some very respectable forwards. Cam Atkinson, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Nick Foligno, uh, Bjorkstrand, we could go on. For me, the question with them is down the middle. And it is, it's it's not a group that's devoid of talent. It's a group that's lacking skill overall. Dubois is a, is a strong, powerful center, not a playmaker. Uh, Wenberg is a playmaker. They need to be a playmaker. He hasn't been that for a couple of years. If he can be a playmaker and create offense, then maybe he can bring life to Cam Atkinson's game in the postseason, which Mm. we haven't really seen yet. I think Wenberg, and and I feel foolish saying this because we've been saying this about him now for the better part of three years. He's (laughs) kind of a a player that if he gets back to what he could be, in 16, what he was in 1617, I think that brings life to their lines uh, in a way that they desperately need. That's great. And then the second thing is, I just want you to finish this sentence about a gut feeling about this team in this postseason. Aaron Port's line, I have a gut feeling that what? How's this going to play out? Oh, man. Um, I think game one is the everything because mm. I think a Columbus win in game one gets Toronto thinking, oh fretting, gosh. fearing, the walls closing in on them already. They can't be out of their own bubble this quick, can they? I think it would give Columbus an enormous amount of confidence that they can do again uh, to Toronto what they did last spring to Tampa. Um, I think these shortened series, everything's heightened early on anyways. I think that's an absolutely crucial in this series in particular. Yeah, this is great. Well, Porty, thanks for doing this. Of course, uh, follow all of Aaron Portsline's work at The Athletic on Twitter. Uh, make sure you're listening to Front Nationwide Podcast with Allison. Uh, Columbus plays Maple Leafs in their five-game play-in series from the Toronto bubble beginning August 2nd. Thanks, Porty. Appreciate it, man. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks. All right, let's keep this moving and jump right into a conversation with Pittsburgh Penguins beat writer Josh Yoey, who is going to be teaming up. I love the crew in Pittsburgh with Josh and Rob Rossi and Sean Gentile. Uh, they just kill it on Penguins coverage. And I am thrilled to have Josh to join the podcast to talk about the first round matchup with Pittsburgh. And I've already forgotten who they went. Montreal for a second. I, I dropped out. Josh, thanks for doing this, man. Uh, my pleasure, Craig. How are you? 
I'm doing all right. I'm excited to be talking hockey. And so I've got my feel. I know, my gosh, like everybody. My feeling going in before all of this went away, I just, I I was having this feeling about the Pittsburgh Penguins was that it was like, like, hey, I think this is their year again. Like, I think we're going to have Sid with this last hurrah. And I saw them, we were talking about this earlier, saw them earlier in the year when they, you know, were injured and Mike had them, Mike Sullivan had them playing a really good brand of hockey that was winning as a team. And then now you bring back the stars and Malkin seems like he was motivated. And I just was like, hey, this was going to be like my, not sleeper, you can't call the Penguins a sleeper, but I just had this feeling about them. And then everything ended. Like, and I felt I felt like you wrote a couple things that said, "Hey, don't sleep on this Penguins team." Do you feel the same way now, or is it? Is, can you can you conjure all that back up? You know, I don't know if I felt that way at the time, especially because you know they really struggled in February and early March. But it was a a very good season for them. But I kind of have that feeling now more than I have in a couple of years with this team. Uh, I would not sleep on them, and and I'm well aware of how good the Eastern Conference is. But I can tell you, I, I think I know this group well enough to know how motivated they are. And on paper, I don't know how many teams are better than them in the entire league, quite honestly. And if the big guys can stay healthy, I think they're a force to be reckoned with this summer. I, I really do believe that. Yeah. A, a favorable matchup, with I think, with Montreal. And, and I think there was, you know, there was a lot of kind of scuttlebutt or however you want to put it about oh players don't want to play carry price in a short series i i don't know how much i buy into that you know i know there's a lot of respect for carry price but we're not talking about carry price you know from sochi like this is this is not the same team and not even the same goalie how big a factor like i don't feel like the penguins are worried about carry price like do you get a sense of that no, I don't think they are at all. And I mean, they obviously have a healthy respect for him, yeah. but they've beaten him plenty of times over the years. And I think they realize just on paper, they're a much, much better team than Montreal. And, and I don't think they lose track of that. Now, listen, it still is Carey Price in a best of five series. I guess that in, that in and of itself is a little daunting, but sure. they're not intimidated by him. I, they have respect for him, yes, but they know they're the better team. Right. And, and so now, I mean, you mentioned just the roster from top to bottom. You, you know, you they, Jim Rutherford, of course, made trades to, to boost it up. Getting Jake Gensel back, like this may be the single, you know, we were actually talking to Jeremy Rutherford, you know, a guy like Tarasenko comes back. We've seen Seth Jones come back. Like there's, there's each team might have a version of this, but you know this team, you know how good Jake Gensel has been in the playoffs. How does his return impact this team? Oh, it's a really big deal, Craig. Um, this Not only is he a 40-goal scorer, but he's just an extraordinarily consistent one, too. Uh, most goal scorers are a little streaky. I've, I've, I don't know that I've ever covered one who's as steady as Jake. He just scores a goal every other game like clockwork. It's what he does. Right. And if you look, if you look at his numbers, and I realize it's a fairly small sample size, his playoff productivity is incredible. Uh, among those who have played more than 40 uh, postseason games in their career, Jake Gensel was sixth all-time in goals per game in the playoffs. They're the only names who have more are Lemieux, Gretzky, Cam Neely, and Mike Bossy, and one other Hall of Fame, and Brock Richard. That's it. He, and then Jake he, Gensel. Sixth all-time. Just yeah. rolls off the tongue uh, after like, those guys. Yeah, yeah, right. So that's how clutch he has been. And he just, you know, we always talk about great players like Crosby making those around them better. Yeah. Jake Gensel makes Crosby better. I mean, he does. It's, it's, it's his favorite line mate ever. They just really? click. They play a really similar style. 
Um, they just make each other better, and that gives the Penguins two dominant lines. When you have those two, and your second line is Evgeny Malkin with Jason Zucker and Brian Russ, who's had a career year. Yeah. I don't know that any team out there can match that top six. Certainly not many. God, you're talking me into the Penguins now. I forgot how good Brian Rust was this year, too. That's oh. like that's another refresher. Yeah, I mean, he scored 27 goals, and he missed the first month of the season. Uh, he, he's always been a really good player, Craig, and, uh, and uh, a great playoff performer always. Yeah. Really clutch guy. He's learned how to finish this season, and I don't think it's fluky. I, I I think this is a really quality hockey player. Why do you think Gensel and Sid? I wanted to dive into that just a little bit more. Why do you think they play well together? Like, what is it about their games that are that have similarities that complement each other so well? Well, for one thing, Jake's hockey IQ is off the charts, and you know players like Crosby, obviously, his IQ is higher than most. So they just think the game differently. Jake, Jake isn't the most physically gifted. He's not that big or that fast. He doesn't shoot that hard. But he's the son of a college hockey coach. He clearly was just trained to think the game a different way. And they, they just like to work down low together. And they're both under six foot tall. They're not big men. And they score almost all their goals around the net. They, you know, they're not perimeter players at all. And Crosby loves people who are willing to work down low with him. And, boy, Gensel, he will take a beating in the playoffs, but he'll keep showing up night after night. And uh, they they just see the ice the same way. And I, I can't say that many people see the ice the way Sidney Crosby does, but he'll tell you Jake does. Hmm. That's fascinating. Because, you, I mean, in I'm not, I don't want to go down this path, but you just always – it seems like throughout Sid's career you heard always oh, tough to play with or it's, it's hard to find line mates for Sid. And I don't know how – if that's just became its own narrative, but uh, you know, this is clearly a great fit. I think he's picky, but Mm -hmm, I I think most of the great players in history are, but boy, he makes it. And by the way, Evgeny Malkin loves playing with Gensel too. Uh, Those two probably are going to fight over the years to have Jake on their left wing, but I think the captain's going to win out more times (laughs) than not on that one. Yeah. Uh, All right. Penguins kryptonite. We got to talk the goaltending situation. Where do like, where do things stand there and how long a leash uh, or, or does anybody have? Well, I think Matt Murray's going to be the guy. Jim Rutherford and Mike Sullivan have really hinted strongly at that. But I will tell you this. Tristan Jari was the much better goaltender in training camp. It wasn't even close. Mm. And Tristan Jari was the better goaltender during the regular season. He played in the All-Star game for a reason. He's a really talented young guy. Um, I think Murray will start. Murray has not been the same really since 17. He's been pretty ordinary since then. He's not bad, but he's just an average NHL goaltender since then. We we all thought he was much more, I think, at the time. So to answer your question, Craig, I think the leash is pretty short, not just because Murray's save percentage was 899 this year, although we can't ignore that, but because they know in Jari they have a guy who is really gifted, and even though he has no playoff experience, I will throw out there, he did win the Memorial Cup in 2014. And there's something to be said for that in terms of dealing with pressure. He's done it before, at least at that level. They really like his mental makeup. So if Matt Murray gives up five goals and they lose game one to the Canadians, I wouldn't be shocked to see Tristan Jari in game two. Yeah, I I think that's – I mean, it's never great to have a goalie thing in the playoffs. And now, especially with with these tight windows and the short series and games so quick, like these are going to be such tough decisions. Like do you you go – like you have no margin for error for like – for giving your your starting goalie that leash, especially in this case? No, you don't. I mean, especially, like you said, in a five-game series. I mean, a seven-game series, maybe you let a guy work things out for a game or two, especially when you know you have the superior lineup. But uh, game one, to me, is so interesting in the series. To me, the only way Montreal has a chance to beat the Penguins is if they win game one. If you win game one, I don't care how much better you are on paper, you still got to win three out of four then when you lose game one. So 
you know, watching Murray's performance in game one is everything for the Penguins to me. If they win game one and he looks good, I, you know, they'll probably cruise. But if he struggles in game one, you got a goalie controversy. You got to win three out of four. All of a sudden, everything gets interesting. Oh. All right. Two questions I'm wrapping up with everybody with, Josh. The first is right. I need you to pick a hinge player. And there's a couple caveats. I'm not looking for like who's the best player that can carry this team. I don't want a goalie in this situation. It's This is the player that if this guy steps up and has a big postseason, the Penguins go on a run, maybe win a cup. Like, who's that guy, like, if he emerges? I'm going to throw the name of Jared McCann at you, the Penguins' third-line center. Right. If you look at the Crosby Malkin if you look at the Crosby Malkin era, they need the number three center to be great defensively and to chip in some offense. It was Nick Benino and Jordan Stahl in the past. I don't need to tell you how important Jordan Stahl was against the Red Wings yeah, in 2009. Right. So um, good. They need that position. McCann's a talented guy. I, I would keep your eye on him. I like that. I like that trade. All right. And the second one, this is just, I love, like, I, I don't want a prediction. I just want a gut feeling. Like, you guys have such a feel for these teams. So from your perspective, I want you to finish this sentence. I just have a gut feeling that what? Like, what's I, your gut? I just have I have a gut feeling that Crosby and Malkin are going to make their way to Edmonton. Mm. And I don't know that that means they win the whole thing. I, I just I haven't seen those two this motivated in many years. And I, I could see a showdown with the Boston Bruins in Edmonton in September. I didn't think I'd be uttering that sentence six months ago. But, <laughs> nope. But I, I, I could totally see it, though. I'm telling you, this team just has that look right now. And I, I would trust Mike Sullivan more than any coach in hockey. I have a lot of respect for him. And I, he has this team ready, I'm telling you. Awesome. Josh, thanks for doing this, man. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Craig. All right, let's keep this thing going. I, we now have on the line Tarek Al-Bashir, the Capitals, longtime Capitals beat writer. Now, uh, and Tarek, a good friend. I've known Tarek forever, back when we were covering the Southeast together. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, yeah, this, the Southeast division, how many years ago was that? 10, 15? It feels like forever <laughs> at this point. I know. I know it does. But somehow, somehow the Capitals, like... It, it was still Alex Ovechkin. I mean, a different Alex Ovechkin, but still the same, you know, same crew. I, I yeah. you know, he would just light up poor Kari Letton and like it was his job and he was getting bonus pay for goals against the thrash. You know, for uh, a long time, Craig, uh, Alex actually scored more goals against Lettinen than anyone else. I believe that <laughs> distinction belongs to Henrik Lundqvist now, but for a long yeah. time it was Lettinen. And I used to love those games against the Thrashers because there was so much theater between those two. Ovechkin would often chirp Lettinen as he skated by. And Lettinen, oh whenever gosh. he would make a save on Ovi, he would just kind of flick it out of his glove like, yeah, try better next time. They really oh didn't gosh. like each other much. No. And then, then uh, good, I want to turn this into 10 minutes about Thrashers. Then you had Kovalchuk, <laughs> Ilya Kovalchuk, who, you know, his pals with Ovechkin, they would go back and forth. And so this, let's start right there. Like, this is, you know, in terms of forgotten moves or, or impact players like that, like we get to really see this unveiled on a big stage now. Yeah, you know, uh, the addition of Ilya Kovalchuk at the time was considered to be just kind of the piece that was maybe going to put them over the top. But if you watch the way he's been used now um, in practice during mm. this training camp, uh, he's now in that trigger spot, in the OV spot on Power Play 2. And it looks to me like Power Play 2 is going to get a little bit more run here this postseason because, you know, um, the, the, the first unit power play is awesome. I mean, he's got some of the best players in the world. 
That said, uh, it has a penchant for staying out too long and wearing down. And by the end of the two minutes, there ain't a whole lot going on. They kind of needed a second power play unit to, to get out there and, um, you know, maybe, maybe breathe some life into a, a stale power play when things aren't going great. And I think Kovalchuk's going to be a leader in that area. So you're telling me Alex Oveskin's going to come off the ice? No, I, I'm telling you. I, I don't I'm, believe I'm, that. I'm telling, I'm telling you that Todd Reardon's going to want him to come off the ice. <laughs> and what's going to happen is Kovalchuk is going to come on with 28 seconds to go when the puck's going the other way and then has to, you know, make do with what he's got. But that's, that's the right. plan going in. That's the plan going in is that Kovalchuk's going to get some run on that power play two, and maybe that power play two is going to get a chance to make a difference. Um. Yeah, and, and now if there's a player that Alex would come off the like, I, you know, there's respect there, right? So if you have Kobe leaning over the bench, maybe, maybe <laughs> that Alex thinks twice. Maybe. Know, <laughs> yeah, probably. Maybe. Um, uh, some a bit of news. I, I, you know, the goalie situation in in Wash is is a big one because um, Braden Holpe wasn't great this year. Contract year. There's just a lot there with Braden Holpe, and I don't know how much of kind of the outside stuff impacted his game. Um, but let's let's talk there. Like, where where is he at? And now he more than more important than ever. Like it's going to have to be him. You know, I I thought that going into this postseason, um, it was going to be kind of a shared load a little bit. Uh, you know, I yeah. thought Braden Holpe would would get the start, but I thought that we were going to see some of Ilya Samsonov. Samsonov somehow got hurt between arriving from uh, Russia and never getting on the ice in training camp. That the team has played um, his injury very close to the vest. That they aren't saying a whole lot other than the fact that we know he's not going to Toronto, um, which means, as you said. The show belongs to to Braden Holpe, who, you know, we saw in 2018, Craig. I mean, he didn't play those first two games against Columbus um, and then was called in after Grubauer, you know, wasn't so great in those first two games. And Barry Trotz was looking to shake things up. And from there on, you know, with the exception of Alex Ovechkin, Braden Holpe was probably their best player during that Stanley Cup run. Um, I mean, he found his game and he found it at the right moment. And they're counting on him to do that again. Um, so towards the end of the regular season, I mean, it just seems so long. It seems like two years ago now, uh, hope he looked like he was starting to kind of round into form It looked like he was starting to find his game again. He was really strong in those last six, seven games of the regular season. And that's why he was going to get the starting nod going into the postseason, you know, even though it was some five months later, um, I watched him very closely in training camp during those two weeks. And there were two scrimmages that he played in, um, and he looked good in both of them. So the hope is the hope is that he's going to be, be able to recapture some of that 2018 form and uh, and lead the Caps on a deep run. But as you said, he is a key part. Mm. I don't know the answer to this. I should know this. It, who who's going to back him up? Well, it's probably going to be Phoenix Copley, um, okay. who was a black ace during the 2018 run. Uh, but they've also got a youngster named Vitek Vanacek they drafted in the second round a few years back who wasn't great when he first came over, but has worked his way into becoming um, a player that may have a future at the NHL level. Uh, he's a back-to-back AHL all-star uh, for the Hershey Bears. Um, Copley and Vanacek split time right down the middle uh, for Hershey this this past season. Now, Copley's got some NHL regular season experience. Uh, Vanacek has none. Neither of them have played at all in the postseason. Now, you know, hockey history is littered with goalies who come out of nowhere, who, like, come up from the AHL and and help a team go on a run. Um, That said, 
not having Samsonov definitely is a blow to their depth. And it just it puts a little more spotlight and pressure, um, I think, on, on Holtby. Because, you know, not only is he, you know, this could be his swan song in D.C. He's an unrestricted free agent at season's end. Um, you know, he's playing for his next contract, whether it's in D.C. or elsewhere. Um, but the, the window for this team is closing. Uh, you know, we've been talking about that for a long time, but really, if you look at the way these, these contracts are lining up, I mean, their best chance for winning another Stanley Cup during the Alex Ovechkin era is probably this season or next. And after that, you're going to need to do some serious retooling to kind of keep the window open. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, like, it's, that retooling doesn't work. So this is it. Like, I've seen this too many times. I've seen this story with other teams. Like, it's almost not, impossible to retool. And there's not a whole lot in... Yeah, sorry, Craig. There's, there's not a whole yeah. lot in the pipeline either. So I everyone feels that pressure right now, and probably no no one more than uh, Braden Holby. Yeah, and I think another another person under a little bit of pressure here, fairly or not, is Todd Reardon, right? Like this is a, you know, I, I, how much how much do you think his future kind of aligns with the, this postseason? Well, I, I, I feel like there were a couple of times uh, during the regular season where he was definitely on a little shaky ground, where it felt a little tenuous. Yeah, it felt yeah. a little, you know, if I'm him, I'm a little nervous. Um, each time the team responded and kind of kind of bounced back. But I, I but you're right. I mean, the pressure is on everyone, and uh, and, and it's definitely on Reardon as well. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. You know, they're they're losing a part of their of their coaching staff. Uh, Reed Cashman back in June took the head coaching job uh, with Dartmouth. Uh, he is yeah, he's still with the team. He's going to finish out the the, the, the season here with the Capitals, um, um, but he's going to be gone after this. And the team has said they're going to wait a little while before uh, you know making a move there and start starting the interview process. I think part of it is they want to see how this all comes together. I think this is one of those years where how this postseason unfolds is going to determine the future of a lot of people. And, uh, you know, if, if you're Brian McClellan and you got that closing window and you want to get another championship too, I, I, I think, you know, kind of keeping your options open is probably the way to, to, the, the way to go right now. Right. Well, last time a coach was uh, on the hot seat, it went pretty well for the Capitals in the postseason. <laughs> so, so we'll see if it plays out that way. All right. To wrap up, two questions I'm asking everybody, uh, Tarek. One... I'm looking for a hinge player. And what I mean by that is, you know, not the best player on the team, not the goalie. I'm, I'm eliminating goalie because I think that's too easy. Who is a player that if, if, if he, like their, their postseason hinges on his success, if he steps up and is actually better than we expect or has a huge, has a huge postseason, they're going to make a run. Who, who's that player for you? Wow. I'm going to go with Michael Kempney. Uh, okay. Left defenseman on on that first pair with John Carlson when he is at his best, and we saw that in 2018. He's a player who was kind of on the scrap heap. The Caps picked him up at the deadline that year. They put him with John Carlson, and that allows John Carlson to go do his thing in the offensive end. Now he suffered a, a torn hamstring um, uh, a year ago. Uh, missed last, missed the playoffs last year. Caps got bounced in the first round. A lot of people say it's because Kempney wasn't there to be that 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 uh, you know that that yin and yang for 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 Carlson. Now, so he's back, and after this um, four and a half months off, he's finally starting to look like the Kempney of old, the, the guy we saw in 2018. Um, so I, I think he's a he's a big X factor. Now there are a couple more if you want a couple more, but I I, I think he is. 
he's a guy where if he is on his game, that allows John Carlson to do his thing offensively and it can really, really help this team. That's great. No, I like that answer. And, you know, you got Brendan Dillon there now. Like they've got that, that would give them some options uh, on the on the back end. Okay. And the second to wrap up, the second thing is I want you to finish this sentence. I'm looking because I feel like beat writers have gut feelings about teams. So I want you to finish the sentence. I just have a gut feeling that what? And I'm not looking for a prediction or how, like whatever you just, anything you feel about a player or this team. You just have a gut feeling about what? I have a gut feeling that this team is going to get off to a slow and worrisome start, um, maybe in the round robin. But I think at some point, the urgency that the, the, the core group feels is going to take over and they're going to turn things around. They're going to go on a run. And I'm not saying they're going to win Stanley Cup, but I think it's going to be it's going to be an exciting long stay in the bubble. Okay, so a struggle off the hop, and then we've seen them do this before. We've seen them, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. pull it together. Well, awesome. Well, Tarek, thanks so much for doing this. Tarek, of course, course, we Capitals play the Bruins, Flyers, and Lightning in the round robin at the Toronto bubble. First game is August 3rd against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Tarek, thanks for doing this. Of course, anytime, man. Before we get to our next guest, I do want to take a pause and talk about our friends at DraftKings. I know listeners to this podcast don't just love hockey. Like You are fans of all sports, uh, NHL, NBA, and in the NBA, the final 22 teams have made their way down to Orlando and are ready to get back on the court. And while the, the ending to this year's basketball season will be different than years past, there will be no shortage of excitement. And there's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. To celebrate the return of basketball, DraftKings will have not one, but two $1 million top prizes through the first two days of the resumed season. So get in and all the action now. If you haven't tried it yet, fantasy basketball is easy to play. You just pick eight players, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for three-pointers, rebounds, assists, and more. There's no better way to put your basketball knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at $1 million. But if basketball isn't for you, don't worry. DraftKings is offering plenty of fantasy golf action for this week's tournament. With millions of dollars up for grabs this week, there's no better place to have skin in the game. Than with DraftKings. Download the DraftKings app now and use the promo code RUN, R-U-N, so easy, to get a free shot at millions of dollars up for grabs this week with your first deposit. That's promo code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum of $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. We're going to just keep this rolling. We've got Arthur Staple, who the Islanders beat writer for The Athletic, who is the host, for my money, of the best hockey podcast on The Athletic Network. No sleep till Belmont. Best name, at the very least. Arthur, uh, the Islanders, this is going to be fascinating. I'm excited to talk to Arthur about this team because this is they're, they're a bit of a wild card, um, a team that maybe wasn't playing. We'll, we'll get into this. But Arthur, thanks for doing this, man. I'm excited to talk to you. How you been? I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm great. I'm excited just to be like talking hockey and like <laughs> lines and players and all that. I'm sure as you are as well. I've had, uh, um, thank you for the kind words about my podcast. I've had pretty much everybody that has any connection to hockey on for the last four months. So I too am excited to talk hockey. So 
Let's get at it. <laughs> I will say this about the pause. It did like people had time on their hands. It was nice to take advantage of like, That's... hey, yeah, I'll talk for an hour. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. All right. So let's talk Islanders. I it's funny because I did, you know, one of the people I did have on was Barry Trotz, who is of of course one of the best talkers in the game. And I'm I'm testing my memory, but he seemed to think when the play stopped, the Islanders were starting to figure it out and starting to play the way he wanted them to play. Does that align with how you remember the Islanders playing at the end and kind of where where are they right now in that? Um, yeah, I mean, they were, they hadn't won in, I think it was seven games, uh, which is easy to remember because those, that's the number of games that Jean-Gabriel Pajot played with them. So he still hasn't won a game as an Islander, uh, which oh my is gosh, a, I did not realize little, that. an odd little, uh, side note. Um, they were, they were a little bit better. They, you know, they, they went through a stretch, uh, in February where they couldn't score a goal and that was, they were actually playing the style that they want to be playing defensively and in goal. They just couldn't score. Then they started to score a little bit and were giving up some stuff and losing games late, shootouts, overtime. Um, So I think they felt like uh, they were getting to a place where they were feeling better about themselves because it really, outside of a 16-3-2 start, they were a 500 team for most of the year and really banged up, you know, in key spots. They They weren't missing guys household names but for the islanders missing adam pellick and casey zizekas and cal clutterbuck is a big deal so right um you know they they weren't uh, i think if the season had gone to its normal conclusion it wouldn't have ended terribly well for them because there were other teams in their division that were starting to come on and win games they shouldn't have and they were losing games maybe they should have should have won and that would have put them in a perilous spot but now fully healthy, uh, a couple weeks of training camp to be reminded of the fundamentals. And, and I think they can, they feel like they can get to that, that grinding, greasy style right away, which I don't think a lot of other teams are certainly feeling like they're going to, they're good. That's their ultimate goal, uh, when they kick this thing off this weekend. Right. Right. Um, it's funny that you mentioned recovery from injuries. I, someone, we, you know, we were pulling some coaches and, you know, which, which team benefits the most, or I forgot what, whatever the question was, or which player is going to make their biggest impact coming back from injury. And there's some big names thrown around, you know, Seth Jones and Tarasenko and Adam Pellick was somebody that the guy said like that, that's my guy. Like that's, that's a big, that's a big difference for the Islanders. Yeah. He's a guy that is as unflashy and un you know, kind of uh, the the exact opposite of what a star player is like in the league, but he's super important to what they do. You know, I I think uh, anybody who watched them play against the Penguins in the first round last year knows he was out there every time Sidney Crosby was out there. Um, you know, the Penguins had the puck a ton when Crosby was out there and the dominated, you know, attempts and, and a lot of the underlying stats, but Crosby had one assist in four games. So clearly that pair with Pellick and Ryan Pollock was doing something right. And, uh, and I think that's what Trotz is banking on now that that pair will, uh, will be able to shut down, whether it's Barkov's line or Huberto's line, or if they're together, um, you know, it's a similar, uh, approach. I think they're having to this qualifying round than they had with the Penguins, which is they've got to stop their top, Florida's top six guys to really have a chance. And, you know, Florida, and they're not Pittsburgh, but Florida, they don't have that depth. Like this is a, this is a pretty good matchup, I think, for the Islanders. Yeah, I think uh, you know the way that Florida played much of the season, and again, you know, they have a Hall of Fame coach behind their bench, so they could have they could have spent the last two weeks completely revamping things. 
Um, but the way that they played most of the season was pretty fast and loose. And that, as we just said, is kind of the opposite of what the Islanders want to do. So if the Islanders get to that that part of their game where they're rolling their four lines and they're matching their D pairs and their goaltending, whoever it is, is, is making the saves they need to make and they're staying out of the penalty box, um, I think their structure is going to be hard for the Florida to compete against, especially how thin Florida is as you get down their D their decor yeah. it's it's not an experienced group and i think that's where the islanders may have the most success um you mentioned uh jean gabriel pajot traded uh around the trade deadline then goes on to sign a six-year contract worth 30 million dollars probably the happiest person in the world that he decided not to test free agency <laughs> like i think of those guys that signed in that window right before the flat cap hit and you know, Chris Kreider's another one. Like, there's these guys that, that that took a little bit of a risk, signed long-term deals, and probably have to be thrilled that they got their money when they did. Did would you see from him? Like, I don't know if the lack of wins had anything to do with him, but like, what was the fit, and how do you see that playing out after the time off? You know, the fit in it, and when they're at their peak and they're fully healthy is perfect because mm-hmm. uh, they might have. For the you know they they go four deep at center as almost as good as anybody in the East with with Matthew Barzal, Brock Nelson, Pajot, and Casey Sezikis. Sezikis was out right. when Pajot came in, so I think Pajot felt like he had to kill penalties and take every face off and score all the goals and also fight, which he actually did in his first game against the Rangers. <laughs> right. Um, right. So I think that's not really who he is. Yeah, and I think this little reset, you know, it's not. None of it is ideal, but I think in a, in a hockey terms, it was probably a decent reset for Pajot. And then he gets a little bonus training camp to kind of be reminded of what this team is all about. So um, I think he's going to be a big factor if he can, you know, slot in and play his role. I think he might be the only forward who's going to who's going to play uh, both special teams and uh, special teams, especially the penalty killer, obviously going to be huge because that's where Florida really ramps up their firepower. So. Um, Having him in there, uh, I think, in a, in a proper rotation as opposed to kind of a, a crazy no-practice dropped right into a, a playoff chase situation, yeah. I, think, uh, I think he'll be a little bit more himself. That's, you know, that has kind of been lost. Like, typically, it takes a while for these rent. He's not a rental, I guess, in the traditional sense because they extended him. But these additions, it takes a while, maybe even a, a round or two in the playoffs. And now... He, he like this is this changes everything for him, right? He got a little bit of a camp. He's now I'm sure he feels like he's a part of this team. For sure. And and yeah, you know, I think uh bought a place, I think, you know, settled in on Long Island a little bit more. Um and uh, you know, I think had a long time to sort of think about what the future is gonna be like when, when hockey came back. So now he's <clears throat> probably in a better frame of mind than uh than the whirlwind uh of leaving the only place he'd ever played in his hometown to sure. be Right, right. Is there a goalie thing in with the Islanders, or how do we feel about the goaltending? I know, we're, I know. Reading your stories, we're hearing the "can't go wrong" line, but I feel like <laughs> when that's the line, that's code for it could go wrong. Exactly, exactly. I, you know, I they obviously have to have a plan in place. I think uh, the interesting thing is those back-to-back games two and three that they have. Um, you know, my sense is Varlamov is going to get the game one start. I think throughout the the back half of the season when they weren't winning a ton, Varlamov was really the better goalie. Um, and I think, you know, you have to look at the situation too, going forward. They, you know, this, this is a guy they brought in for four years and 20 million. 
Uh, Thomas Grice is a, is a pending free agent. They've got Ilya Sorokin finally in the fold for next season. So there's only going to be one of these guys around next year, and it's probably going to be the guy who's making $5 million a year. Right. Um, so I think you, you also have the factor of Grice being a very long-time uh, backup goalie who's, who's used to coming in cold. So I think the, the safe bet probably is to start Varlamov in game one, and if things go really wrong, then you can make the transition, and if things go really right, you can still have – Grice uh, available for game three, maybe if you have to go uh, alternate back to back, because it doesn't seem like Florida's in a position to really make that kind of switch. And maybe the Islanders won't either, given what, what may happen after the first two games. But uh, but I, I'm curious to see the Islanders and teams like the Islanders that have kind of a 1A, 1B setup, how they mm-hmm. handle these back to backs in the qualifying rounds. Can you give us the Cliff Notes version of how they're going to handle Sorokin? Like, talented kid. We've been hearing about him for a while. I, you know, I was reading your stuff and then Russo's stuff and Kaprizov. Like, that became its own soap opera. How, how is that going to play out for those that weren't following that on the day-to-day thing? Um, well, he is <clears throat> on Long Island right now. He could be on his way up to Toronto. You know, Lou Lamorello said he'd be joining the team in the bubble sometime this week since he flew over from Moscow last week around this time. So he's quarantining on Long Island. Um, he signed the contract, and you have to put contract in quotes because he gets no money and only service time for, for this season. Uh, but he signed for next year for at one year, uh, $2 million bucks, And um, it's a reasonable deal. It's a good deal for the Islanders who are going to be in are already kind of in cap hell like a lot of teams for next season. And, uh, and given all the... <clears throat> excuse me, all the hype about this, uh, this guy who turns 25 next week. Um, you know, I, I can't see a situation where they've done anything but give him at least one of the two goaltending spots for next year because you see what Igor Shosturkin has done with the Rangers. Um, you know, Ilya Samsonov, who's obviously out with an injury for Washington, you know, is probably their goalie of the future. I think they feel the same about this guy, and they're really, they really want to give him a, a real opportunity next season to, to play some meaningful games. Awesome. All right. To wrap up, two questions I'm asking everybody. Uh, the first is I'm looking for a hinge player, and what I mean by that is not you know not the star or not the goalie because I think goalies are the easy answer. But if this guy you know a, a guy who if he has success the, like their playoff success hinges on it, and and if he's good, the Islanders are going to be good. Who who would you say that guy would be for this team? You know, I think a guy. Uh who I think would surprise a lot of non-Islanders watchers that has never really shined in a postseason is Anders Lee. You know, he, mm. he, 2016, he was out with a broken leg. He didn't. That was the only other time they won around besides last year. He's got one career playoff goal um, for a guy who's known for scoring goals and yeah. leading this team in goals a lot of years. Um, I think last year he was. He certainly was solid. You know, he's playing on a line with, as he will this year, with Matthew Barzell and Jordan Everly, and those two guys were probably the Islanders' two best players through the whole their whole trip to the second round. But I think, uh, you know, this is Lee has a, had the brand new deal for seven years. He's the captain. He's now 30 years old. You know, I think it's, uh, it's incumbent upon him to, to produce this time around. And if he does, obviously, you know, goals are going to be the thing that, that makes the difference for the Islanders. You know, it sounds silly to say, but just the fact that they, when they, when they're not playing well, they're not scoring. And this is a guy, you know, makes his living in front of the net. Uh, he helps improve their power play, which is where they need a lot of improvement. So I imagine he will be a big factor in this. And if there's still, you know, if it's still dry for him uh, going through this qualifying round, it'll be a lot tougher for them to to think about going deep in the tournament. 
Right. Like they're gonna at some point they are gonna have to keep like Florida's gonna have a game where they 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 light it up. They they are gonna need that. That's that's such a good answer. I actually just talked to him. He had a I want to say a baby girl right during the pause. Like this is you know there's interesting like those are things you forget. Like people were living a real life and all of this, and now get thrown back into it. Yeah. The Islanders had a lot of babies during the uh, during the pause, so, so. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, awesome. And then the last thing is this: I'm looking for a gut feeling, not necessarily a prediction on how you think it's going to go, or, it, or you know, it could be like a player you think is going to do well, or whatever. I, I want you to finish the sentence. I just have a gut feeling that what um, the Islanders will win uh, around. But it's hard to see what happens beyond that for them. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, uh, if you take a certain cynical viewpoint, that's probably the worst outcome for them possible. Because at least if you lose the qualifying round, you got a one in eight chance of getting Alexis Lafreniere. <laughs> right. Uh, and if you lose the first official round, then they not only do they not have a chance at Lafreniere, they send their draft, their first round pick to Ottawa to complete the Pajot deal. So. Um, there's a lot riding on them winning or losing this first round, and I think losing it is they obviously want to win, and I think they will win. But uh, but I think beyond that, once they're eliminated, uh, they have cap problems. They have to sign Barzal. They have to sign Ryan Pollock. They have to sign Devon Taves. Uh, they've got some contracts they'd love to be rid of. It's going to be a very busy off season for Lou Lamarillo, so I'm sure they want to keep this going for as long as possible for many reasons. But my gut feeling tells me that. They went around, they go out uh, in the first official round, and then there's some chaos <laughs> looming after that. Oh, my gosh, which is pretty much worst-case scenario for them. Like They're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're yeah. one of those better off losing. If you're going to lose, you might as well go out early. Exactly. Awesome. Arthur, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, it great to catch up for a second. Again, listen to Arthur's podcast, No Sleep Till Belmont. Uh, the Islanders play the Florida Panthers in a five-game play-in series. Game one, August 1st, from the Toronto bubble. Arthur, thanks so much, man. Thanks, Craig. See you. All right. Let's move right on to Joe Smith, who covers the Tampa Bay Lightning, a team that I imagine has wanted this playoff series or this playoff season to start more than any other team in the league. My gosh, they've been waiting for this since they got eliminated by the Columbus Blue Jackets last year in one of the biggest upsets ever. Joe, thanks for doing this. How are you? Doing well. How about you? How's my home state? Oh, it's it's good. It's been gorgeous. It's uh, it's it's really the best time of year in Michigan. And I've been trying to balance having hockey start in July and August with trying to at least get a little bit of time at the lakes here in Michigan, which are which is it's it's amazing. So it's it's been a juggling act, but it's been awesome. Yeah, my wife and I actually went up to Lake Michigan a few weeks back. For my family has a cottage up there in Leelanau area. So oh, nice. We got it. We got a week there, which was great. So it's, I agree with you. Michigan in the summer times is, uh, is wonderful. So oh, it's the best. It's the best. Um, all right. Well, let's let's jump right in because we are just banging these out. And and you know the lightning, the lightning. You know they they announced the return to play and had the best video. And all of a sudden it looked like it might not happen. It's it's just been a roller coaster ride. Stamkos is healthy now. Like we don't know. And so let me start there with with Steven Stamkos. Can you just take us like what's the latest there and how what kind of impact do you expect from him? Well, you know, yesterday he did a, a media availability for the first time in five months. We haven't heard from him since he got that um, core injury in mid-February, late February. He had a core surgery in early March. But yesterday was his first full practice with the team um, in, since camp started or since then. Uh, definitely the best he's felt. And, and they're, they've been 
optimistic the whole time that he'll be ready. Maybe not for the first round robin game on Monday, but for the uh, the actual game one of the playoffs, which probably like August 10th or 11th. So that was an encouraging sign to see him uh, back uh, on the ice, not not on the top line, but in the fourth line, working his way back. And uh, there's no question that Steven Stamkos, uh, when he's on the ice, he changed the whole complexion or feel of the team uh, on the bench and, you know, the power play and everything else. And just, there's just a different feel of the team when he's out there. So um, encouraging to see him back. We don't know that core surgery is such a tricky thing. I know guys like Crosby and Bergeron have all gone through it before. Um, it never kind of goes away. He kind of had a, a, a related injury, a little injury to it back in phase two. So um, I guess we'll time will tell, you know, how this goes in the playoffs, but I think they're hoping and, and betting that he'll be ready for, um, you know, game one of the actual first round uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, so a refresher for fans, because it was so long ago, Tampa had a really interesting approach in acquiring both Blake Coleman, Barclay Goodrow at the deadline, paid a premium for him, but also are getting them on the cheap. And and now we get to see if that strategy for Julian Brisebois plays off. Um, especially when you think about the cap next year, it looks especially smart. Um, the numbers that those guys are at for this year and next. Well, Joe, I know it was only brief, but what impact did both of those guys make? And how, how does that change their lineup when they have those? I don't want to say depth players because these are good players. But when they had that additional depth behind the stars. Well, it was tough. They only played the eight or nine games before the, the pause there. And, and Coleman only had one assist in nine games. It wasn't his typical offensive production. But both of them are relentless. They're, they're both versatile. Uh, on the penalty kill, they were so dynamic together. They think they'll be together on the penalty kill for um, the playoffs. Um, you know, Blake Coleman's a 20-goal scorer who's capable of, of contributing offensively, not just a depth player. And I think what happened was, you know, he had a, his wife had a baby like a week after the, the trade deadline. He was moving across the country, and it was such a stressful situation that neither him nor Goodrow could get their feet underneath them. Um, so I think the pause actually helped a lot of these guys uh, feel more part of the team through the group chats and uh, phase two. And, and they really, in camp, you could tell much more comfortably look with the systems. And they feel like they've been part of the team for a year, is what Goodrow said. I feel like I've been part of the team the whole season. Um, and you can't put a, a price on that. Um, and evaluating how they're going to play. And those two were brought in mind with, with the playoffs in mind. These are playoff-type caliber players. they got some grit. They can play up against um, other teams' top lines. You saw in, in March in the Boston game, TD Garden, Barclay Goudreau set the tone from the beginning of the fight with Chris Wagner. Um, they Those are two guys I think will be a little X-factors for them in the playoffs because they have that um, kind of game that they have and the versatility. And um, you saw them playing together, I think, with Tyler Johnson initially if everything holds up right um, going into the playoffs. Yeah, I, I I liked I I, th- I mean I liked those moves for uh, on a lot of levels even even with the premium, the the move I'd forgotten this and there's probably been twenty of them and but you wrote recently on this for the athletic was the addition of Zach Bogosian, um who who you know I've I've been covering Zach for a number of years injuries have always been a thing and he's always been like judged against his contract like you maybe people felt he was overpaid for where he was in the lineup but now you're adding a right shot D you're adding him at a reasonable number how do you see him sliding into things now well interesting enough like the biggest wrinkle on campus he's been in the top pair of Victor Hedman um you know Jan Ruta has been a guy who's been Hedman for the whole season but he had a lower body injury at the end of the year. He, he hasn't played in five and a half months, and so he's not ready yet. He's not been playing like he's capable of playing. So Bogosian all of a sudden looks terrific. Uh, his skating's right there. Uh, big physical presence, right shot. He's a smart player. He can play with anybody. And Brian Engblom, who's worked for ESPN for a while, said he looks like he did in Winnipeg. He looks like he did when he was in his early mid-20s. 
uh, moving the puck, and and he has a, he's played in a 600 and some games in his career, not, not one playoff appearance in his career. Um, so this will be his first playoff appearance in this once in a lifetime experience. So uh, I don't, I'm not going to guarantee that he'll be the first pair starting on game one, but I think that they're giving that a strong look probably in round robin games to see until Ruta is ready. Um, but I think he'll definitely be a factor in the playoffs. Uh, you know how depth is important and they pile will go through more than six defensemen. So um, for a, a one year on the cheap and in, in February uh, with look ahead to the future. I mean, if he's playing like he was capable of playing before, um, after the hip injuries the last couple of summers, I think it's a good good sign for them. It's interesting because depth, like depth on defense, is always a thing in the playoffs. Like those seem to be the guys. You know, they're going back and getting the puck, and everybody's finishing their check. And it, and it just seems like like you want to go into a playoff run with eight or nine guys. I look at Tampa like they like, and now you factor in COVID, like guys could just be disappearing for all we know, and and like that. That's really a sneaky strength of this team. You look They've at got the, a ton of guys got- on D. That Braden Coburn and Luke Shen are the three other and yeah. Pergosian are the three extra D. You know, that's how many games yeah. of experience is that? Like fifteen hundred games of NHL experience. Um, right there. So um, you know, I think that the strength of this team obviously is up front, but you know, when you factor in the Victor Hedman as 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 he goes, the team goes. Let's put it that way. Um Mikhail Sergachev has turned into a two way force this season, a top four caliber guy. And McGonna looks healthier after injuries this year. So they're really strong back there and they get some stability there with that guy with headman, whether it's Bogosian or Ruda, they'll be in a, you know, a really strong position. So when I talk to people around the league, the lightning come up as a team that maybe, you know, there's reasons to say it helped the pause. You can say Stamkos, you know, if headman was banged up or whatever, but they saw a team in the lightning where John Cooper kind of had them going, right? Like it was a struggle. They had to work some things out coming off of last year. And it just seemed like the lightning were starting to turn. And it was like, okay, they're putting their foot on the gas. Do you think this is a team that you can just, we can drop them back in and they can pick up? Um, I think actually at towards the end, before the pause, they were kind of struggling to find themselves, quite frankly. You think I so? Think so you were... disagree with the theory completely? Well, I think they hit their stride like December till February, and they were going okay. to that ridiculous run by Vasilevsky. But they got the new guys, right, and Coleman and, and Bogosian and, and Goudreau. They lost Stamkos. They, they lost McDonough and Neruda. So they were kind of patching things together. And so I think the last game in Toronto, Cooper called the team out for the, the effort and kind of concentration and focus. And so I don't know whether – the, you know, the, the camper pause helped them. I think it probably did for all the new players to get acclimated to the system and Sam goes to be, Sam goes probably would have missed the first round if they would have played the games in April or missed part of the first round. Um, so I can't promise you they'll be clicking all cylinders when they start, but now the fact that they had the training camp, all the guys, like 20 guys were skating together in phase two. Um, they have everybody pretty much healthy and they have warm up games, quite frankly, the exhibition games and the Rod Robbins, if they want to work their way into this, into their, in their t- top form. Uh, I think that that they could probably get back to where they wanted to be or were maybe in, in early March or late February. Yeah. Okay. To wrap up, two questions I'm asking everybody. The first, I am looking for a hinge player on the Tampa Bay Lightning where if this guy, not, and it can't be a goalie, and I'm not necessarily looking for a superstar, if this guy, it, their, their playoff success hinges on this guy, if he is great for them and emerges, they will win the cup or they will go on a run because I think this team's got it all. But who's the guy for you? That's a tough one, but I think, to be honest with you, Nikita Kucherov. Um, okay. I think okay. that he's a guy that in 14, 15, 15, 16, when they were at their best, he was a dynamic 
dominant, engaged player. Um, and we've seen them at their worst. <laughs> he wasn't as involved or he's a very emotional and uh, player and he gets frustrated. You saw that in the Columbus series where he got suspended in a key moment. Um, and he's one of those guys with the body language where the team can kind of go either way when he's out there. So if he's engaged and he's playing at his top level, the power play goes completely through him. Um, he's on the top line. You know, there's so many talented players on this team, but he's arguably the most gifted of the group. And, and if he's playing determined hockey, like you saw him play before in 15 and obviously uh, the New Jersey series a couple of years back. And um, I just think if he's on and his mentally he's into it and he's got that confidence rolling, I think a lot of guys follow him and, and he can really be a difference maker um, Yeah, for this group going forward. Okay. And then the other thing is I'm looking for a gut feeling and this may be, I'm not necessarily looking for predictions or whatever, just maybe about a player or a feel or how you see this playing out or something. And so I want you to finish this sentence for me. I just have a gut feeling that what? That uh, Braden Point will be one of the best players in the playoffs. Oh, wow. Um, All right. I I love it. Good answer. I, I think that, you know, we've talked about him a lot and he's not a secret anymore by any question, but uh, watching him, he looks faster than he ever has been. Um, he had the hip surgery last summer, double hip surgery, and really the pause helped him kind of get back into recovery and, and strength. And I don't think anybody we've, we've watched in camp has been better than him. So in a playoffs, when he's in the top line, he's on the power play, he's uh, he kind of kind of an energizer bunny for them. So I think, you know, if they go deep, I think you'll, there'll be a lot of stories written um, about Braden Point oh. if we go deeper into um, September or October. I like that. Get your early Con Smythe bets in if you're if you're a gambler on Braden Point. There's a, there's probably some good odds there. Joe, thank you so much for doing this, man. It was it was great to catch up even uh, even briefly. Um, just a reminder: Tampa Bay plays Washington, Philadelphia, and Boston in their round robin action in, in the Toronto bu- bubble. Game one is August third. Joe, thanks so much, man. Good chatting. Thank you. Thanks, Craig. Good talking to you, too. And uh, we'll see you virtually sometime soon. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Awesome. Take care, man. All right. I'm excited to welcome in Charlie O'Connor, who covers the Philadelphia Flyers, who may be the biggest wild card. And hopefully I'm not saying this for every team. The biggest wild card in this entire postseason, because, man, they were going when the pause hit. And I don't know how if you can just pick that right back up. Charlie, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's good to be on. Oh, my pleasure. All right, let's start right there. Like, I feel like this pause probably hit this team at the worst possible time, although you could argue maybe they were peaking too soon, and this is okay for them to kind of recalibrate. Where are you on that spectrum in terms of how this team was playing going into it and how that's going to impact their playoffs? Yeah, I think the big question for me is, uh, is really what the Flyers are, and it's one of two possibilities. It's either... They're a good team who was playing over their heads well and was just on this amazing hot streak to end the season. Or if they're a great team that just got progressively better as the year went on, as they got more accustomed to Elaine Vigneault's expectations, his system, you know, he got a better handle on which players he trusted and which ones he didn't. So it's hard for me to say how I feel because I'm not quite sure. Like I, I would like to believe that they are actually this good. And if they are, they're probably going to start out this playoff run playing really well because they're actually healthier now than they were when they were playing their best hockey of the season. They have James Van Riemsdyk back. They have Phil Myers back. Nate Thompson's back. So in theory, they should be just as good, if not better. 
But again, the question is whether that, you know, that six weeks of fantastic play was them playing over their heads or if it was just them kind of doing like a St. Louis Blues where they just figured it out and just started rolling. Right. I mean, and that's that's the million dollar question with the teams where I'm suspect with the Flyers a little bit is that we've seen this before with this with this team is that we've seen them go on crazy runs for 15 games and then like just the bottom falls out. I, the difference, I would I would argue, maybe in this case is Elaine Vigneault. When did you see kind of his system take shape or when did you really see them start to figure out what he wanted from them? I think they re- it really started to click for them in January because in the first – so the first half of the year, one thing that Vigneault did, uh, and I looked into this with, with some of the tracking work I do, he changed the mentality of the team from the start from a team that – you know, generally just did what everybody else did. You know, they, they they attacked on the rush. They dumped and chased sometimes, but it was nothing special. And he basically turned them into a heavy four-checking team where they were dumping it in almost all the time. And I think the focus for that was because he wanted them to avoid the kind of back-breaking turnovers that came with trying to be too creative that had plagued them for, for the previous three, four years. So in the first half of the year, they were dumping and chasing a lot. And it had its positives, but it also cut down on maybe their their upside as a team. Well, around January, I think, is when he sort of started to, you know, release the reins a little bit and be like, okay, I've now, I, I'm now comfortable that you guys know what you shouldn't do on the attack. So now you can be a little bit more creative, attack more, and they became more of a balanced team, but they were, they were still avoiding the mistakes they used to make which just turned them into a far more dangerous club all around. So to me, that was what really, because I think they picked up the basics of the system pretty quickly, but they just started playing a more creative style in the second half while still avoiding the mistakes that had hurt them for years. And that's when they really got going. Right, right. Now, it's funny because you're, I mean, you're an analytics guy. I don't know if analytics, like the the dump and chase kind of conservative style doesn't always mesh with the, the mentality of people. You know, the analytics community doesn't always love that could, because you, I think you do lose some creativity. So do you think this team had that right blend from your perspective when you looked at the numbers? I think in the second half they did. Um, and part of it also is, is the fact that, uh, you know, one thing about the dump and chase that I, I've talked about in some of my articles is that, you know, yeah, in theory – Carrying the puck in is more dangerous than dumping it in. You generate more shots, you generate more goals, but you have to look at it as part of the both sides equation where you can play a heavy dump and chase game if you also prevent the other team from carrying the puck into the zone. So if you're like, let's say you're gaining the zone with possession 45% of the time, it's kind of low. But if you're forcing the other team to only gain the zone with possession 42% of the time, you're going to win those battles. And I think that's where the Flyers really excelled was that because they were playing smarter, because they were avoiding the kind of turnovers that sends another team flying back the other way with speed and control, they were winning that equation because the other team wasn't generating much either. And then when the Flyers started generating more, it just made it even better for them. And maybe this exists. That spread to me seems like a really important number. Like the you know the the carrying percentage one side versus the other like if you if you're up plus two point six percent or whatever that's that's a pretty big impact versus whatever you know your overall number is in each side yeah definitely and again it just goes back to playing a two way game you know you can't yeah, yeah you can't simplify it down to just one end of the spectrum and just look at it entirely offense and I think that's something that Vino has preached and something that Chuck Fletcher from the start you know one thing he said 
in the summer was this idea that last summer he said that we need to change our mentality as a team. And he didn't go into specifics of exactly what he meant, but it was pretty clear if you read between the lines, a lot of it was just that commitment to two-way play, that commitment to back-checking, that commitment to not taking shifts off that he went, because he was there for the second half of the 2018-2019 the season, and these were kind of the, the, the flaws that he had identified with the team. And then what did he do in, the, in that summer? He went out and he hired Elaine Vigneault, an experienced head coach who can come into that room and would immediately have clout. But he didn't just do that. Right. He then hired two more head coaches to be assistant coaches and Mike Gill and Michelle Terrian. So, I mean, he went all in on this idea of we need an experienced yes, coaching did. staff to, to have this mentality change. And clearly it worked. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the best stories coming out of these camps is the fact that Oscar Lindblom is on a roster. And I, like I, that, that, that's, it's amazing to see his um, – recovery from you know a rare bone cancer what like what are the expectations there? what's been the feel around oscar and his story right now it's really an incredible story and it's one of those stories yeah. that like even as you're you know as you're reporting on it as you're following it it's it's amazing and you you almost don't even it's hard to even accept that it's real because it's so mind-blowing considering where he was in december you know how devastated the team was this was a, this was someone who legitimately was fighting for his life and now yeah. it's 7 months later and i'm not saying he's going to play but the fact that it hasn't right. been ruled out that he could make a comeback if the Flyers go to the you know conference final or the Stanley Cup final and he could potentially play in a game, it's it's mind blowing and it's just it's really really it, it gives you chills thinking about it just how crazy of a story it is. It's it's wild and like I mean it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that this becomes this huge story right the Flyers get going they go on a run. All of a sudden, he comes like it's 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 really cool, and it's it's really great to imagine that possibility happening. Um, a couple things before we wrap up, they the Flyers. One of the things like this is really like minutia and like nerdy, I, but I was really <laughs> watching to see which teams would go with three goalies, four goal. Like the goalie thing is going to be an interesting thing. Flyers opted to go with four goalies. Um, obviously, to me, it ultimately doesn't matter. Like this team needs Carter Hart to be Carter Hart, right? Is that where you stand on all that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I like, he could, like, Carter Hart, in terms of emerging goalies, is as good as there is. How do you see him reacting to this opportunity? You know, one thing you got to say about Carter Hart, and, and this is something that everyone who interacts with him agrees is true, is just how mature he is for his age. Like, he, you talk to him and, and you interact with him, and he does not act like a 21 year old. So, if there's a 21-year-old goalie that is set up to succeed in his first NHL playoff, I would think like Carter Hart is the exact type of person that would not be phased by this. At the same time, he's still a 21-year-old goalie in his first NHL playoff, so you just don't know how he's going to react to it. But, you know, his mentality, his personality does seem well-suited to, to not be overwhelmed by this moment. But I absolutely agree that, you know, his play is going to be such a big part of this because, truthfully, you know, the Flyers are—I think the Flyers are a good team. But the Flyers don't have, you know, the game-breaking superstar talent. Like, I'm the biggest Sean Couturier defender in the world. I still think Claude Giroux is a very good player. But, like, they're not Sidney Crosby. You know, they're not Nikita Kucherov. Sure. So, for the Flyers to win— 
and for the Flyers to go far, they need contributions from everyone. Like they can't, they can't overcome Carter Hart being below average in a series. They need everyone right. to be good. And do I think Carter Hart can be above average to great in, in a series in a playoff run? Absolutely. But again, it's it's a question mark because we've just never seen him there before. I think we're gonna have like a Claude Giroux awakening and realize, boy, this guy's be- better than he gets credit. Like uh, he's been around forever. He's a superstar. He's a star player. And I, I always feel like he doesn't. He, he's not the guy that rolls off the tongue when you're just listing star players. You know what I mean? Around the league, I love Claude Giroux. Like, yeah, you're, I, I'm you're, a fan. You're speaking Philadelphia fans' language because Philadelphia fans <laughs> scream all the time the fans. about how underrated Claude yeah. Giroux is. He is. I, I think he is. I think it's gonna be one of those things. And you see this happen with guys. Like, you know, we saw it with Joe Thornton, where it was like, he kind of he, he people were critical. All of a sudden, it was like. Joe Thornton's great, everybody. Like, let's stop with all this. Like, he's really good. He's better than we want to give him credit for. I think there's going to be a Claude Giroux awakening at some point. I don't yeah, know when. One, maybe this year. Maybe. You know, one, one thing I will say, and I'll make this quick about Giroux, is that, you know, one thing that does set him up well for this particular playoff run is that if you look at his numbers for the year, they're not that great. But from around the middle of February to the end, they were back to normal. And that exactly coincides with when the Flyers put him back on the left side of the, of the top power play because they had been moving him around the entire year and when they put him back on a, the same line with Sean Gattieri. And that's getting the most out of Claude Giroux. Put him in a spot on the power play, put him with Sean Gattieri, which has been one of the best duos in hockey for the last two or three years, and just let him rack up the points. So in a way, like he's in the best possible position to flourish in this playoffs. Yeah, awesome. All right, look. Wrapping up with the same two questions for every writer. The first is, I'm looking for a hinge player that if this guy has a big postseason, and I'm not going to allow goalies as an answer here. We already talked about Carter Hart. If this guy has a big postseason or steps up and is, is better than maybe we thought he would be, the Flyers are going on a run. Who is the Flyers hinge guy? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I almost want to say Jake Voracek because he's almost kind of not – He's still a very good player, but he's not as high profile on the Flyers as he used to be. You know, he's behind, obviously, Drew. He's behind Couturier. People probably think of guys like Provorov and Hart before they think of Jake Voracek. But he's still fully capable of being a point-per-game guy in the postseason. And if he plays like that, then suddenly the Flyers have another elite weapon on offense that can compete with the top teams in the East. So I would say Voracek. I would say if he if he comes out fire and the Flyers are in good shape. Okay, I like that answer. And the second one is, I'm looking for a gut feeling, and I know this goes uh, counter to you're an analytics guy. So, but we're <laughs> we're gonna go we're gonna go with a, a gut feeling here. So you have to finish this sentence for me. I just have a gut feeling that what? Just a gut. It doesn't have to be prediction. It was just something maybe about a player. A gut feeling you have about this team or this group. I just have a gut feeling they're going to go at least to the conference final. I really do. Oh, wow. All right. You are on the record. <laughs> I, this is, they're fascinating. I think they could lose in the first round, and I would be like, yep, yeah, okay. Like, I have no clue. This is the team I have no clue about. So you yeah. think this is it. They're going to play I, it together. I think they're going to go on a run. I don't, I don't think they're going to win it all, but I think they're going to go on an exciting run. I think they're poised. Okay. Awesome. Well, Charlie, thanks for doing this, man. It was, it was great to catch up hear about the Flyers, um, just so people will uh, to, to know, the Flyers play Washington, Tampa, and the Bruins in their round-robin action. They're in the, the Toronto bubble. 
First game is August 1st. Charlie, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. All right, we are just going to keep on moving here because we have Shana Goldman, who is one of the brightest young minds in the hockey world. I love Shana's stuff. She knows I'm a fan of hers, and we are going to talk some New York Rangers with Shana. Shana, how are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, Shana. I, I, thanks for doing this, first of all. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. All right, so the New York Rangers, I wanted, I wanted to get you on here to talk about the Rangers because... You could argue that they are one of the teams that shouldn't be here, right? Yes. Like if if the if the season plays out, you know, and there's not we're we're in before times. My guess is the New York Rangers. We're not talking about a postseason berth, but that all of that said, I, you know, I've heard people try to make the case that the Rangers could be the team with the highest upside. And I, I don't mind that theory because you have a guy in Panarin who is, you know, elite, a guy who's carried this team. You have a goaltending situation um, that that I think is fascinating and somebody may emerge. What do you think of that theory as this team with the high ceiling? I think that's a good theory. Um, they're the team that I feel like going into this, they should be the team that just them in Chicago and Montreal should just be happy to be there because they shouldn't be in it. You know, like, you right. Should, you could go from the regular season. You can go from the fact that it's actually a 2014 playoff instead of 20. They're very lucky to be in this position, but they're a team that could definitely be that that sneaky one that makes the most of it. Um, there, there's a lot of flaws with them, but there is that upside because of their best players. So they definitely have a chance to shake things up. All right, let's talk before we get to their flaws, which I love talking flaws, but let's <laughs> talk about the upside. When they're going well, what does that look like to you? Like when when they're clicking, like what's working well for the Rangers? The key for them is goaltending. And this year was a little bit different because there were points when they weren't relying solely on goaltending. There was a stretch there where they were showing how strong they are offensively, which is different, you know, huge difference from years past. The the Rangers, everybody knows where this team with a goaltender that's their backbone, you know, an iffy defense and then a really bad defense and just an eh offense. So that's the big difference this year. And it's because of Zibanejad and Panarin mainly. And then you have like players like Chris Kreider and Pavel Buchnevich who support that and Philip Hedl and Ryan Strom. So they have two really good lines. So if the Rangers are at their best, you know, the defense isn't making that many mistakes. You see players like Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren shining, and they were the two I don't think anyone expected to shine. Like, as much as Fox was highly touted to, to make that impact so quickly, that that was surprising, and to see Ryan Lindgren's growth too. So it's the two of them on defense, I would say, are like the, are, are leading the charge. And on offense, it's Artemi Panarin continuing to be, like you said, this elite player, and Mika Zibanejad just continues to rise. You know, he, he's such a good player. So it's them plus the goaltenders. When did Mika Zibanejad get so good? Like, I think it's good, <laughs> but like, honestly, like, what, 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 when was the turning point for him? When did you see him elevate his game? I think from the time that he was traded to the Rangers, I was really high on him. You know, I thought it was mm -hmm. a great trade. You're getting a younger player and with some similarities to Derek Broussard, except he was better defensively. And I think for him, he continued to, you know, steadily rise throughout his career, but he just never got the opportunity to step up. And when they traded Stepan, Everyone looked at Zibanejad and was like, well, he can't be number one center. And it was like, well, he can. He just hasn't been yet. You know, give him a second to play in the role. And then 
he broke his leg and you would see so you'd see glimpses of it in that first year of him as a first line center but the injury did you know it took a while for him to get back from that and obviously acclimating to the role and overall being on a team that wasn't great didn't help but you could see these glimmers of of like star power and then the following year last year he was outstanding you know he he hit 70 I think it was 74 points and I might be off on that but it, it was the first time it was the first time a forward in New York did that in a couple of years it was the first time a center did that you know the goal scoring the overall point scoring everything he did you know it just showed what he could do in one season and then he took it and ran with it this year which is even more interesting considering he missed games he didn't play with Panarin at even strength except for like in the third period at the end there it, it just is like a testament to all these skills that you could see building throughout his career, like his two-way play or his really good shot, put all together, and then sprinkling in some things like underrated passing that I, I don't think gets enough attention. And it just all came together this year yeah. more than ever. It's funny to think that there's a player in the New York Rangers who's probably grossly underrated. Yeah. Like, I don't know when that ever happens in, yeah. in the NHL <laughs> history. Um, who starts more games in goal, Igor Shesterkin or Henrik Lundqvist? I think it's going to be Shesterkin. I I think this year it's really tricky when you look at the goaltenders because if you look at every traditional stat, you know, maybe your decision's a little bit more clear, but like when you put everything in context of when Lundqvist was starting or when Georgie ever was starting and then when Shesterkin took over, like they were playing in front of teams, like a different team because it was different points of the season and they made these defensive adjustments. So I think that the fact that he was the starter when the season ended is encouraging. Even when he returned from the rib injury, you know, that net was his. If he falters, I don't think the team will even blink. They'll throw Lundqvist in there and you can, yeah, if, I mean, think of the, that strength. If your team falters, it's like, oh, don't worry, we have that guy, Henrik Lundqvist, ready to go. We, we have one of the greatest goaltenders of his era we can, we can lean on, just in case. Yes, no big deal. So I, I think it, it's such a short series and we know how long Lundqvist has been training. You know, I think of all three goaltenders, he has been the longest when he was in Sweden. So that helps. And, yeah. when, and the pressure situations, how well he does, it's not like it's something to even question, can he handle it, whatever, as much as he didn't play at the end of this year, it's just, if they need it, he's there. I forgot, yeah, there was no rules with the Swedes. They just did whatever they wanted. So that, yeah. that may be an advantage for Lundqvist. That's, that's really good. All right, I have a question for you. Is How much was Ryan Strom's success, Ryan Strom, and how much of it was Artemi Panarin? That's a tricky question. Um, <laughs> it's it's not it's not a knock to Strom to say he wouldn't have had the season without Panarin because he's one of the best players in the league. You know, any any player could play alongside Panarin and play a lot better. Um, and when he played with Panarin, you know, so many of his goals you would see some unbelievable passing play before it, or the way he would battle back for the puck, get it that Strom could get in position. But he elevated his game as well. Were there things he could have done better? course you know he could have shot more frequently um i disagree with his place on the power play at points because it, it he was a right-handed shot where it would have worked better and been a little bit faster with the lefty and you know um his defensive play isn't his best and penalties like that's the discipline for minor penalties was something like that was a problem throughout the year but it's not to say that he's not having a good season on its own it's i would say it, it's both things, you know. He definitely has improved his game. This is a great year for him, but you, you can't not credit Panarin. You any any quality play, you look Panarin's right there, and look at what he did before it too. Right, 
Right. All right. You mentioned earlier the flaws of this team. If it's if if it's a quick exit, what went wrong? Like what you know, when things aren't going well with the Rangers, what are they doing wrong? Um, I think they're it's gonna be defense and forward depth are the are the two things right there. Um their defense has had flaws for years and this year we saw them make improvements. I think around December we really saw them, you know, take hold and the defensive play definitely improved. But there's only a, there's only so far that this team can go when you look at their roster. You know, you have Brendan Smith finally back on defense. He's playing with Truba, who hasn't had a great year. Um, if there's any injuries, the first one up is Liber Hayek, who struggled in his NHL time. And then for the forward depth, the third line found their footing with uh, Philip Giuseppe along with Philip Hedl and Capococco. But each, you know... If you're only as far as, for some teams, you might be only as far as your forward depth can take you. And when you look at the Rangers yeah, versus Carolina, who has the depth, the fact that Pesci and Hamilton are out, though, it might, you know, work out that that depth isn't what kills them in the end of it. But the fourth line barely plays and it, it could be strategic. It could be because of the talent that they have. So I think the first two lines are really powering them. And if they're not going I don't know if that you can rely on that bottom six enough to make up for some of it. I don't. I don't know if they can make up for any of it. Yeah, I, I'd be curious. Uh, like, what signs did you? What, what, what kind of vibe were you getting from Capo Caco in going into this tournament? Like, is this a guy that that maybe can find another gear? Yes, uh, we we've seen him in these high pressure situations like the World Championship and with juniors and when he played with against you know regular NHLers. He shined, but it was it was a tough year. I mean, you think of how much he played going into it, the pressure of all of it, and joining a team that wasn't great. And you know, at times he didn't have the best line mates to help him out, but there were times that you know he was on with their top players and still struggling. So it, it was just a mix of everything. And I think if anyone benefits from the time off, it's him. You know, he had time to rest, to rethink. He could have been watching tape, practicing. There's so many different things that he could have been doing, and I mean, he's still on that third line. It's not like all of a sudden he's playing, you know, with Chris Kreider and Pavel Buchnevich or, you know, Panarin. But I think that there's more potential for him now. I wouldn't rely on him and even want that pressure to be on him, especially given, like, the pressure of the second overall pick coming to a team who hasn't picked that high and everything. But he's, like, a sneaky pick that could be really good as, like, as a supporting player. But he just can't be leaned on and, you know, be forced into that role because I just don't think that they can force this to happen like we know he's a skilled player and we know he can do well in these situations but it just might not happen yet and that's okay right right okay two questions I'm asking everybody so the first one I want to start with you is is I'm asking for a hinge player and what I mean by that is and I'm, I'm going to say goalies are not allowed because that would be the easy answer if this is somebody who's the Rangers success hinges on if they're really good and if this person steps up, the the Rangers may go on a run. Who would you say that hinge guy is? Hmm. I'm going to say, I think we know Panarin and Zabanich are going to be good. I'm going to say yeah. it's Truba. I think he okay. he's like the X factor. You know, we know what he can do when he's at his best. And they definitely need more support on that blue line. If he's clicking on the power play, on the penalty kill, at even strength, I think that's a huge advantage for them. I like that answer. I, I I agree completely. He's uh, that's going to be a key for them. All right, the Rangers play the Carolina Hurricanes in a five game series. Game one, 
is August 1st in Toronto. Shayna, what's the easiest way? First of all, let me plug the podcast. Too Many Men, if you're a podcast fan, go listen to that right now. Follow it, subscribe to it with, with Allison and Civi. It's fantastic. Also check out, I'm a fan of your website, Bench Bosses, lot for coaching data, great stuff there. Follow Shayna on Twitter. I don't even know, I'm gonna just, I'll spell it out, at Hey Shay, there's just a bunch of Ys <laughs> in and <laughs> Maybe just Google it. Yeah. Anything else you wanna plug, Shayna? I think that covers it. Um, yeah, that's it. I mean, we'll have content on the Canes and Rangers leading up to it. I know Dama's preview and Sarah had the defense pairs and I did forward depth and, um, Oh, uh, Panarin. There's something on Panarin being the MVP yes. coming this week. Yes, Shayna's got some Artemi Panarin content. And if you want to even bonus, check out the Etsy shop and buy masks that are tie-dyed that are awesome. Shayna, thanks so much for doing this. It was thanks great for having up. me. All right, we are going to throw it to our second break, and then we will dive right back in to the playoffs. Interest rates have hit record lows, which means it's a great time to refinance your student loans and see if you can lower your monthly payment. If you've been making the same monthly payment on your student loans for the last couple years, odds are you could reduce your payment and save by refinancing with Earnest. And now you can get $100 cash bonus when you refinance a student loan with earnest.com slash full60. Once again, you get $100 cash bonus when you refi your student loan at Earnest. E-A-R-N-E-S-T dot com slash full 60. Not available in all states. Visit earnest.com slash full 60 for more details. Terms and conditions apply. Earnest student loan refinance loans are made by Earnest Operations, LLC, NMLS, number 1204917. California Financing Law License Number 605-478-8. 303, just in case you were wondering all this, 303 2nd Street, Suite 401N, San Francisco, California, 94107. Visit earnest.com slash licenses for a full list of licensed states. We are going to keep it moving and go right to Fluto Shinzawa, the longtime beat writer of the Boston Bruins. Uh, the Bruins are you know, a team a lot of people think are poised to make a, a long run, maybe benefiting from the fact that, you know, they go on a long run last year. It might have been a, a lot to ask a veteran team to come back and go on a run this year. But now, you know, the, the the pause was the great equalizer. The Bruins are back at it. Let's have Fluto jump in here. Fluto, thanks so much for doing this. How are you? You got it, Craig. Happy to be here. There's a couple theories on the Bruins that I've been, people have been kicking around to me. Is one, um, the pause like this, hurts them and let me see, see what you think about this because they're a veteran team it's going to take them a while to get going uh you know the a, a long time off is going to benefit teams with speed and youth and 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 those kind of players on their side do you feel like the bruins were hurt by that like how do you feel about that theory nope i think they're, okay they're going to be fine you look at the 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 guys that are pulling the sled bergeron marshan chara rask Crazy. They they look pretty good in camp. Like their legs were good. Obviously, Brad and Patrice they they can they can flip their sticks upside down and they'd be fine because <laughs> they played for for so long. Um, Zidane maybe maybe not to that standard just because a big man. Every, every, all the working parts need a little bit of time to get back up to speed. 
But I, I think that they, and Bruce Cassidy said, he, he was very pleased with the conditioning overall. So that, that starts with those guys. And then the young players can't help but fall in line. So the, the time off absolutely helps. Um, they were planning to give Bergeron and Krejci and Chara some rest. going in, Because let's remember, they were, they were in pretty good shape in terms of standings. Um, so they, they were looking at, at resting those guys, so they got their rest. Um, so <laughs> I, I think I think they'll be just fine. Um, yeah, and, and you know the other theory again, if we're saying that in, and I'm not this is not to say the pause was a negative for the Bruins, but one where they were hurt, like I, I talked to a coach who was like uh, he felt like among the teams that got screwed by the system and everything in the round robin, it was a like he's like the Bruins were going to be the number one seed in the East without question, and now they've got to re-earn that. Um, but on some level, it's you know I, you could counter and say, wow, that maybe they coast in without playing meaningful games. Do you, how do you like where where are you in that spectrum of of having them kind of have to reclaim that top spot? Somewhat, I I can certainly and Cam Neely and and Bruce and all those guys were kind of. They weren't whining, but they, they they made sure to point out that, yes, they were the top seed. They were most likely going to get uh, the number one and home ice and all that. But then again, okay, there's no, there's no home ice advantage. Um, these round-robin games give them some time to maybe rest some guys. It's, it's not guaranteed that the, the big boys are going to play all three games. So that's, that's an advantage for them. Um, and then who knows who they're going to play. So and we we've all seen these instances where we've seen lower seeds come out and, and get hot, and that that's going to be even more the case if if one of these goalies gets hot. So yeah, you you can understand why there were it was it was tough for them when when that first seeding came out, but uh, I think they'll be all right. What's a best case scenario for them in terms of opponent as this plays out? Um. Well, I don't. I don't think they want any part of Tampa. Obviously, yeah. uh, Washington. They just don't match up well with historically. Uh, I think they, they'd love to get a crack at Montreal, um, but I don't. <laughs> I, I think don't, a lot of teams would. Yeah, I, I don't see that <laughs> happening. Uh, Rangers. They would. They would match up well with. Yeah. Um, so uh, as long That's as it's a good one, like you can see the Rangers pulling off an upset, right? Like, sure. uh, and we just had Shana on, and we were just talking about that. Like, they, there's kind of this theory that they have a lot of upside and could go any direction, but I would like a team with Boston's depth, I think would end up steamrolling them. Like I like that matchup as a solution here. That would be in uh, Boston's favor for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the themes we've been hitting on today is kind of revisiting some of the trade deadline moves that these teams have made was, you know, that we've kind of forgotten about or, or didn't have a chance to really sink in. And I liked the, Cache addition, addition with the Boston Bruins with the Anaheim Ducks deal. Um, how did he look? And do you think this is one of those cases where this time off can benefit a guy settling in? Well, right now it's disastrous because yeah. Kasha has skated once, and that was with another guy, uh, Trent Frederick, as a post kind of main group um, practice, and then he was shut down for being unfit to participate. So he's still back in Boston. Uh, who knows when he'll travel? When he does travel, he'll be subject to four-day hotel quarantine in Toronto. So that's that's a huge question mark. And, and then if he comes back, what what is his fitness? What is uh, to say nothing of the integration? He only played six games since arriving from Anaheim. 
So that's that's just a complete mystery. And then Nick Ritchie was their other um, guy from Anaheim, and he's missed the last, I think, three or four practices. He is in Toronto, um, but he was on the third line and not really doing too much, and he's one of those big guys that needs some time to get firing again after a long layoff. So right now... Uh, not not looking like either is going to be helpful right away. So they're they're playing they're they're trying to to plug some holes in there um, that they weren't anticipating because that was one of the big things that they wanted to accomplish in camp was okay let's give Richie or uh, the the plan was to give Kashe plenty of time with Krejci as the second line right wing and and didn't didn't skate a single shift. Uh, Richie, they thought maybe there's something there with Charlie Coyle. He got in some practices, but then he got uh, he was unfit for the last couple. So, uh, yeah, the, the trade acquisitions not working out in their favor right now. Mm. Tory Krug's been a name that's been a lot of ink has been spilled on him over the last several weeks. Um, I, he's it's fascinating because I mean not for him, but this is he probably picked the worst possible time oh, to be worse. UFA. Yeah. Uh, do we think this is it? Do you, is this yes. his last run with the Boston Bruins? Yes. Mm-hmm. A whole lot of factors going into this, Craig. He's he's 29. Uh, he's he's in terms of skating, he's not a free flowing skater. Like he he can he can skate. He's got speed and he's got some quickness and agility, and he can carry the puck and he doesn't lose any pace with it. But he's just the type of skater. It's just not a natural thing for him. He's not like this uh, Duncan Keith type skater where it just looks so easy. So you would think any time during the second half of whatever kind of extension he would get, the legs are going to go. And then a whole bunch of other factors. The Bruins have some other options, granted not as good as Torrey, especially on the power play. Um, Grizzlick, McAvoy. Bruce has even thought about using five forwards next year if Tory walks on his first unit. Um, and then they've got some young lefties coming up too. Zaboro, Vakanainen are two of them. Um, and then just the, the money situation. They've got to pay Jake DeBrusque, uh, who's restricted after this year. They've got to save for Charlie McAvoy. They've got to save for Brandon Carlo. They've got to save for, for Pasternak, who's going to get... Um, a, a, who's, who's on a very good deal right now, but that they're, they're going to have to pay the piper on that one in a few years. Um, and then the, the whole issue of the centers, okay? Krejci's got one more year left. Bergeron, too. What do you do to replace those guys? Uh, and how much money do you have to invest? And what kind of resources do you have to invest to either draft, develop, or acquire, or sign, or whatever? So it's, yeah, like you said, terrible, terrible timing for Tory. He's been... Um, just, just a great fit. Uh, signing out of Michigan State, uh, just a, a really good relationship with with Bruce, and really in that second tier of, of leadership under Bergeron and and Char and Krejci and those guys. But yeah, I and he, he even said the other day, this is potentially my my last run of chasing the cup with these guys. So um, it's. Hey, who knows how this market will be like and what kind of free dough that other teams will have to chase him. Certainly not as much as they he would have he would have preferred, but I still think he can do better on the market. So it'll be up to him and his family. Um, do, do I want the security and the money that I'm sure to get on the open market that's a premium over Boston or, or leave a pretty good situation? That's That'll be his call. 
tough spot for oh, him. It's terrible. It's funny, and we were just talking about some of these other players that got that signed like right before all. Like if you're Chris Kreider or whoever it is, boy, what a you know. We, we, I was talking to Arthur about uh, Pajot, like got his deal in, and all of a sudden, you know, the cap hits and all this craziness hits, and I'm sure they're relieved. Terrible. It's a terrible spot for, for everybody to be in. Uh, Charlie Coyle, great example of that, signed in yep. around Thanksgiving. That's a good one. Pretty good term, pretty good dough. And he said, yeah, he's, he's, he's very happy that he got that deal. <laughs> Who knows if, if, if that, 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 I don't think that's available now no. post pandemic. So yeah, he, that's a great example. Guys. So Charlie Coyle's coming in and around just a hair over 5 million per season. And when yep. I talk to people, they say like the guys that are going to get squeezed, it's not going to be the stars. No. Like, you know, Pasternak, you're right, is going to get whatever he wants. It's going to be the Charlie Coyles. Like those are the guys that will get squeezed. So that middle tier. So good for Charlie. Absolutely. And they're expecting big things again because of the, the Krejci thing and the Bergeron thing. Now, can he be a top two center? We still don't know, but they're paying him to be one. Uh, maybe a number two in terms of the, I think it's 5.5 or 5.75. You don't pay that for number three, which is a great fit for Charlie and a great fit for the Bruins right now, especially going to the playoffs, to have that guy as your third line center really kicks the advantage in your favor in some of these matchups. But going forward, yeah, he's he, they they need him to be to be uh, to be more than that. Yeah. All right, Pluto, to wrap up, two questions I'm asking everybody. One is I'm looking for what I'm calling a hinge player, and this is a guy, and goalies are ineligible, that the playoff success of the Boston Bruins hinges on. If he's really good and steps up and maybe he's better than maybe we realize, they are going on a run. Who would you say the Boston Bruins hinge player is? Krejci, uh, I think. Uh, yeah. Claude, Claude used to say this all the time. We go as David Krejci goes. In, in that sense... He was saying, okay, you always know what, what Bergeron and Marchand and Pasternak are, are going to deliver. That, that, that line, you, you can right. bank on it. But David, it's been, and not, not through just his own fault, but he's had to play with so many right wings. And this is where the Kasha thing came in, that they finally thought that it was going to be stable. Because before that, it was, they tried with Rick Nash. They tried Lee oh, Stepniak. Right, they tried uh, Aginla for a year. They tried... Um, uh, Marcus Johansson, they acquired to be a, a second line right wing, and then he turned into be a better fit on the third line as a left wing. So it's been this whole rotating cast for David, and that's why I think he hasn't been as consistent in terms of offense. But you look at his playoff history, it's really, really good. Um, so uh, he's he's back with Jake DeBrusque. They, they didn't have a great year this year together, but... They're hoping there's something there in the playoffs, and who knows? Maybe it's a kid like Jack Stanika. Maybe it's Anders Bjork. Maybe, uh, who knows? Maybe Kashi works himself back into the mix. But, yeah, if, if David can get back to his real playoff level, then that gives you two back-to-back lines that can drive offense. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll say David Krejci. I love that. Great answer. That's the correct answer. That's the one we were looking for. Flip. All right. <laughs> second question and this is what we'll end with i just i feel like beat writers have gut feelings about their team or players on the teams that they cover and so i'm not necessarily looking for a prediction here pluto but just i want you to finish the sentence i have a gut feeling that mm, what uh they run into tampa and tampa wins just because yeah. that team is so loaded tampa and they they made some adjustments that I like, uh, Goudreau, uh, Coleman, 
um, and Sorelli from before and Point, such terrific players, and to 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 get kicked below the belt like they did last year, that that has to sting. And then the Bruins side, okay, they're going to keep the puck out of the net, but can they score? That they, it's been a real struggle for them to score at five on five consistently this year. So when the series are short and uh, the puck's not going in, well, then that's when things really start to squeeze on you. So I don't know that they have the offense to keep up with Tampa. So if if that comes down to it, I I like the Lightning all day. All right. Well, the Bruins play round-robin games against the Lightning, the Flyers, and the Capitals. First game, August 2nd, against the Flyers in the Toronto bubble. Fluto, thanks for doing this. Okay, Craig. Pleasure. I'm excited to talk to my next guest who covers the Winnipeg Jets, Murat Ates. And Murat, I, like this this Winnipeg Jets team, who, like this is a team that I was like uh, two or three years ago, boy, they're knocking on the door. They are going to be a powerhouse. Um, it doesn't necessarily happen. And now uh, they're in the, I don't know what to think, but I have a sneaky suspicion they're going to be better than people want to give them credit for. First of all, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. And, of course, second of all, does this Jets team have enough to make to kind of reach those expectations we had around them a couple of years ago? Right now, they don't. And I think that that was expected. <laughs> that, like, even going into the season, that was expected when Jacob Truba was traded away, Ben Sherratt, Tyler Myers. There's the reload on defense even before you get into Buffalo. And then they've been trading for centers at every trade deadline since Paul Stastny. So they know what their holes are, and they knew that defense would take a step back. Then that Buffalo stuff happens, and, and here you go, right? Here you go. And, and that to me, like that D, and you know, it's like that to me is the issue, right? You look at, there's a million players over there uh, on the Jets' defense. I'm not sure I, I could name what, what I would say their top six is, but who do you see? outside you know Josh Morrissey we know we're getting there like who do you see stepping up and and perhaps having a big role on that D well there's going to be an unsung hero in Dylan DeMello for sure Um, acquired from Ottawa for a third round pick at the deadline he just has a long and established track record even in a short career of making every partner he plays with better whether that was Thomas Shabbat in Ottawa or Josh Morrissey in Winnipeg since he came uh, came to the city the interesting thing about him is that he's, he's so unheralded, but every time he goes into a corner, he keeps his head up, he gets the puck, he makes a pass that puts his partner in a better position than when DeMello got it himself. Um, it is a look that Winnipeg has missed all year. Between his acquisition, the fact that Pionk was a little bit better than advertised, Dmitry Kulikov has stepped up. You can begin to squint and see a top four um, that, that could compete and handle Calgary and their two lines. Um, but you do get the sense that they'd be overwhelmed by some of the Western Conference's deeper teams. Um, against Calgary, though, you, you really have to like the Morrissey-DeMello pairing to take a lot of the, the, the heavy minutes and build on the chemistry that, that they started with. I, the DeMello trade was a sneaky good one. I, I feel like Kevin Sheveldayoff ha- like, tends to do that, right? Like He's not going to win trade deadline. Well, I guess he's, he's made some slasher moves. But like they, they, some of those kind of depth defenseman for for mid-round picks like that was a good little move yeah for that price to get a a top a guy who's going to step in on the top pairing and sort of stabilize because josh morrissey was playing with tucker pullman for most of the year in a heavy minutes tough matchup role 
Pullman is a very good third pairing defenseman. He's excelled at the AHL level, but most of his career is excelling at the AHL level at this point. He was thrust into that into that position. Swap him out with DeMello, add full health, run that second pairing of Kul Kulikov and Pionk, and then put Pullman and Bolu on the third pair. Um, it's the best look Winnipeg will ever have had. They had the worst expected goals percentage in the NHL at 5-on-5 five five this year. This was a bad defensive team, but the version that Calgary's going to get is better than what we saw. Are they going to be able to keep him around long term? I think that there's an interest on both sides. I, I think that DeMello sees himself as a good fit, and I know Winnipeg um, likes the way that he fit in as well. There's been nothing but good words and on both sides and and demello has been pretty forthright about it in in media calls as well where he said that he would he would certainly like to see himself here it's all warm and fuzzy because the fit has been that good and you can see him projecting onto that top pairing for as long as he's willing to sign one of my favorite things that our writers have been doing is just i love just kind of the lap around camps and in, in reading about your observations and one thing jumped out to me when i was reading on the jets in your initial impressions were that blake wheeler looked rusty I don't think that's a great sign for the Jets. Did did he emerge out of that, or where? How has Blake's game looked to you? Yeah, it's been a it's been a slow and steady ramp up since day one, and yeah, I'll I'll wear that. I mean, Blake Wheeler was fighting pucks. There were passes that he typically makes that just weren't landing. I mean, you watch him on the power play during peak form, and he can find Shifley in the middle or Line A across the ice through multiple sticks. There's a little bit of sauce on it, too. It's there, and then it wasn't at all on day one or, or three or four of camp in my mind. Um, and he's been a slow stutter to my eyes in regular seasons past as well before becoming the point-of-game or better player that he is. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you're ageist about this at all either, but that was my first impression. Are all the 30-plus guys going to come out of here and start slower? And what does that mean for Winnipeg when, when Blake Wheeler, their captain, is, is exactly in that mix? And I, I stereotype it that the younger guys are going to have a faster jump off the hop. Yeah, I agree with that. And I am ageist in that I think it's going to take those... Like, I, I look at the teams like the Bruins and the Blues, some of those that, that once the machine gets going, they're really good. But I, it takes a while to crank them up, and and I don't like I don't know if anyone has looked at, but I would be interested if like historical slow starters in September and October, if if they become slow starters now, or if these guys can just flip a switch and say, hey, this is a playoffs, I've got it, and and I think the bigger players, it's going to be an issue. Like older and bigger isn't where I want to be right now. Oh sure, there's six five Blake Wheeler right there uh, leading the charge on on both <laughs> of those fronts. And I love Blake. This is not a criticism of Blake Wheeler, but like the, I if you if you had to pinpoint a a type to struggle out of, uh, you know, uh, right, right away, I would guess those would be the players. Right. And you know what? And, and I, I accuse Blake Wheeler of being a slow starter, but if you go straight points per game too, I think in his, I looked at the first five games of the last three seasons, and I think he ran exactly a point per game over that sphere. So fighting the puck to my eye, sure. But uh, it sure seems that the production was there as well. Playoffs you need, and especially in these, however these are going to play out, these play series, you need those game breakers. Patrick Laine is that guy, potentially, for the Jets. How how has he looked from your perspective? It's been a step forward in his all-around game this season. I, I think that I think that in the next year or maybe two, but I, I'm I'm willing to lean on the next year, you're gonna have a season where Patrick Laine blows up and develops I don't think he'll ever be a two-way force, but develops a little bit 
just a better ability to fight for pucks and protect them on the walls, keep that play alive in the offensive zone a little bit longer, and all of a sudden his numbers and metrics are going to look a lot better as a result. And we're going to think that that's the breakout season. In, in my mind, this was the breakout season. He was distributing the puck really well. He added a, a little bit of a power forward element to his game. And for me, the interesting thing for him is going to be the moment when he figures out when he can be a power forward because he's a great big guy he's a strong guy he can be physical when he wants to go to soft ice because he's got the shot that everybody knows about he also likes carrying the puck on his stick and trying to become a transition guy as well and i think he's still in the process of figuring out in what moment in what read does he use which skill set because he has it all um, and St. Louis, the St. Louis series last year, especially games three and four, were special for him. They were a next step, and I think it set the table for a pretty strong year in Winnipeg this year. So uh, he's one of the guys I'm most intrigued to see if he can get right back to that almost bordering physically dominant at times version of Patrick Line. And if you do that and right. you pass and shoot like he can, I mean, that's a pretty good player. Like, we forget, he's 22, Kyle Connor's 23. Like, these guys are still figuring it out on some level. Like, this is what... like. This this should be their leap, right? When we start to see them piecing it all together. Yeah, I mean, in some cases, like Kyle Connor, I think seventy three points in seventy one games. We're we're flirting with the maximum point production. I think that we'll see from a guy like that. You get just like Line A first power play time, but Connor gets quite a lot of time at five on five with Shifley and Wheeler, and that's the line that you'll see in the playoffs as well. I mean, in terms of opportunity and in terms of his youth, his offensive skill, I think these point totals are are near the peak of what we'll see. But as young players, they're getting better in other ways and they're helping teams win in other ways. You can look at them, their point totals might not explode in the next three years, but in terms of how well that they can help Winnipeg win games and win games now, I think there's still a lot of room to grow and they will grow. Right. And then it just becomes, okay, does that line up with Blake Wheeler? And, and you know, like that that's a challenge when you have these teams that have kind of that first generation even like the brian littles and and the wheelers and then making sure everything lines up that's the challenge but it'll it'll be fascinating all right so two things to wrap up here that i've been asking everybody one is i'm looking for a hinge player that if this guy is going and he has he's better than we think or he really he, he hits the ground running and has a great postseason the jets go on a run and and i'm not allowing goaltenders we, we didn't even talk about Connor Hellbuck, but uh who, who is the Jets hinge player, in your opinion? I'm going to go with Nick Ehlers on that front. Oh, Nick Ehlers. Good. So, we haven't talked about him. Last three seasons in Winnipeg, goals per minute. Goal per minute of ice time. Winnipeg Jets leader. It's not Kyle Connor, Mark Scheifele, or Patrick Liney. It's Nick Ehlers. And that's by a hair, but it's Nick Ehlers. And he's been a second-line all-star, essentially, for the Jets. He's a zone-entry machine, but... In his playoff career, he's looking at zero goals and seven points so far. So he's got a reputation to fight. He had a, a terrific season where he was at times Winnipeg's best player and, well, best forward at times as well, of course. Um, but he's got that reputation that he's got to slay. And if he does that, well, then you can count on the top line to work. You can count on the checking line to work. That means his line will be going as well. Winnipeg can go deep. Zero goals in 21 playoff games. Is that is that indicative of 
anything he does differently in the postseason? Or like, do you have any theories there? Or is it just a guy that we, he needs more of a sample size in the postseason? I think it's a combination of things. I've been I, I rewatched Nashville 2018, that wonderful series. And there are times when Ehlers looks a little bit deer in headlights. He, he's such a speed and skill game. And there are times when you can kind of convince yourself, okay, maybe at that stage of his career, he wasn't built or experienced enough for the playoff game. But then you watch him carry the puck up ice, put it on Stastny's stick, Stastny sets up line A, Ehlers ends up with a secondary assist, but he did so much of the work as well. So he's been able to have an impact, not a dominant one, but a good one, despite the lack of points. And then other than that, give him sample size, give him games, give him a little bit more maturity. I think this is a much better version of him uh, today than, than even two years ago. Awesome. Good answer. I like that. All right. Second question. I am looking because you are around this team so much. You have such a feel, and and this is you know this goes for all, all of the, our beat writers. I'm just looking for a gut feeling, and not necessarily. I mean, if you have one about the run they're about to go on, or maybe a player or a performance, I want you to finish the sentence. I just have a gut feeling that what that Winnipeg is a much better two-way team than the sum of their season would have most people believe but they still mm -hmm. don't have enough depth for that deep, deep run. I think you're right. It's going to be, it's going to be fun to watch. I don't, I, you know, it's, it's, a, it'll, it's a pretty even matchup right off the hop for them. And after that, who knows? And just for those following, the Jets play the Calgary Flames in their five-game play-in series. They're in the Edmonton bubble. Game one, Jets versus the Flames, August 1st at Rogers Place in Edmonton. Mirat, thanks so much for doing this. Great to hear from you. Right on. Thanks, Craig. Oh, man, that was so good, so informative. And I want to thank all of the writers for rearranging their schedules and making this happen. This was this was awesome. And again, this is just a start. This is part one of two. And we're going we're gonna to launch part two tomorrow. And it features insights from Daniel Nugent-Bowman, uh, Jesse Granger, Adam Vingan, Ryan Clark, Scott Krugshank, Sarah Sivian... Sean Shapiro, who am I forgetting? Mike Russo. I mean, come on. Can't do this without Russo. Uh, among others. It's Part two is going to be great. I'm excited for that to drop. So thank you for listening to this. And real quick, if you want to give reviews, and I also would love feedback in the comments, and if you like this format, um, please do that. That would be really helpful. But tune in for Part 2 being dropped tomorrow.